Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast looking at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time. I'm your host, Darren Mooney, and joining me as ever are my co-host, Andrew Quinn. Hello. And also, we've got two special guests this week. We've got Dave Singleton. Hello. And Babu Patel. Hello. So this week, we're going to be discussing Guy Ritchie's 1998, if you lived in the UK, 1999, if you lived in America, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Uh, This is going to be covered as part of our summer of 99. Ironically, it's going to be the last episode that we release in the actual summer of 2019. Um, So just to give listeners a bit of context to take us back... It's currently March the 5th, 1999 in the United States. Angel of Mine by Monica is still number one. Believe is still waiting patiently at number two. And a new entry at number 15 is No Scrubs by TLC. Analyze This and Cruel Intentions, both new releases, open a first and second position in the U.S. box office. Um, at the moment, Lock, Stock and Barrel will open, but it'll open at number 37 at the U.S. box office this weekend. Uh, in terms of actual news, very little's happening since last we talked. Walter Legrand was executed in Arizona on March 3rd, 1999, by lethal gas, and remains the last person executed by that method in the United States. He botched a bank robbery with his younger brother, Carl Hines. Roberto Bonini is continuing his charm offensive in the United States with a 60 Minutes interview on the 28th of February. Ironically enough, the same episode includes a segment called Choose Life, but it's not actually about train spotting. But perhaps more relevant to the film in question... <laughs> It's also August 23rd, 1998 in the United Kingdom. Traffic gridlock. It's just an average Reports from Afghanistan indicate that Osama bin Laden survived the American attacks. The skeptic. Unconventional thinking is only going to get you into trouble now. The paranoid believer. I'm the key figure in a plot to conceal the truth about the existence of extraterrestrials. You're saying this is a cover-up? Of what? And a conspiracy of galactic proportions. It's the worst bomb attack in 30 years of terrorism in the province. No Matter What by Boyzone is at number one. Music Sounds Better With You is at number two. What Can I Do by The Cores is at number three. To the Moon and Back by Savage Garden is at number four. Ghetto Superstar by Praz Michelle featuring OBD and Maya is at ten. The X-Files Fight the Future is top of the box office, replacing Armageddon. It'll remain there for another week before being replaced by Lockstock in early September. The Oma bombing took place the 15th of August. Uh, which signaled a sort of a rise in the troubles in Ireland. It killed 29 people, the worst terrorist atrocity in the history of Northern Ireland. Um, outside of that, ASBOs, the Antisocial Behaviour Orders, have been introduced by Tony Blair. The Independent Television Commission had just chastised, chastised Nickelodeon for allowing Bewitched to say, feck off, live on air. Um, and other than that, uh, the TV satellite channel, the TV channel Bravo, launched The Doll's House, an online series enabling internet users to observe the lives of four women living in a house in London. The women were selected from 250 applicants to live rent-free in the house for six months, with highlights of their activities being aired on the men's magazine channel, The Basement. Uh, So yeah, this is where we are. It's 1998. It's also 1999. But do you guys remember where you were, sort of, in 1999? Do you have any memories of the films that you would have seen, sort of, like, whether you were sort of listening to music? What 99 was like for for you and for... I was living in a house (laughs) (laughs) rent-free. Much like those four ladies. (laughs) 
Um, what were their cameras streaming <laughs> Andrew's like live it may, activity? It may have been, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, because nineteen ninety nine, we were kind of we're doing this season because ninety nine was considered a seminal year in cinema, and in terms of so you know a lot a lot of things happening. It's released the Blair Witch Project, the release of Fight Club, all this sort of stuff happening. And kind of Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels was kind of part of that. So we thought to have a discussion about Lock, Stock, and and Two Smoking Barrels, we invite on two people, two experts, sort of in the subject. Two British people who we just happen to know, uh, Dave and Babu. Thank you for joining us, guys. Both, both the Northern Monkey and the Southern Fairy for, yeah. for, for a balance. Yes, <laughs> fair and balanced. I keep telling these people that the Midlands is not in the north. They <laughs> <laughs> don't listen. Um, but yeah, so do you, have you guys seen uh, Lockstock before this? Yeah, yeah, I, I saw it. Um, when I was about 15 and liked it a lot which kind of made me suspicious going into this because <laughs> almost every movie I liked when I was 15 years old was uh, it was pretty poor <laughs> um, and, and Babu do you remember when you first saw yeah I, I think that he uh, Guy Ritchie became really famous at this time um, it was almost like a, he was seen as a new kind of auteur if you like of British cinema and he was huge for a while the one thing I do remember for uh, for a period of time, Nick Moran seemed to be on the cover of GQ pretty much all summer and into the next year. And but ironically, he never seemed to have any more films out after Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Is, so he is was Nick still Moran famous. Tom or Eddie? Eddie. 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 Yeah. Yeah, the, the irony is that of the three central characters, and again, we're not going to talk too specifically about it, but you have Bacon, Soap, Tom, and Eddie. Eddie is nominally the protagonist of the picture, but the actors that everybody remembers are either Jason Statham, who played Bacon, yeah. uh, Dexter Fletcher, who played Soap and went on to become a director in his own right. He was also an actor beforehand. Mm. He was the only one of the four that was famous before the movie was released. And Jason Fleming, who's a, sort of a British character actor who's kind of popped up here and there in the years since, often working with either Guy Ritchie or uh, or Matthew Vaughn, who worked as a producer on this. Obviously, Vinnie Jones. Yeah, yeah. Vinnie. Well, Vin- oh, yeah, no, no, but I mean of the four protagonists. Right. Yeah, I think Dexter Fletcher, he had become famous in British movies um, a couple of years previously, and then I think he had a lull in his career. And then he Well, he was, he was a child actor. I think he appeared in even like The Long Good Friday, to pick an example as well, going back yeah. that far. Um, and he was also he started Press Gang on British television in the early nineties as well. Right. Um, so he was he was he was very much he was the established sort of star of the bunch. In yeah. fact, they say that like when the cast of this I think includes somewhere in the region of about one hundred and fourteen um, sort of speaking roles. Forty seven of those were played by people who had never acted in front of a camera before to give a sense of like how sort of amateur this production was. Because this was again, Matthew, this was sort of Guy Ritchie and Matthew Vaughn like establishing themselves basically. Yeah. Like Steve Collins, even uh, a, 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 a appearance, uh, a, a, um, middleweight, um, uh, I, th- I think boxing it was middleweight boxing champion of the world. Steve, Steve Collins. Oh, he plays who, a uh, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I, Irish kind of um, uh, watchers would have, would have recognized him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because he would have beaten uh, Chris Eubank. Yes, right. Yeah, yeah. The, they, they, they had a lot of kind of famous fights around this time. Yeah, certainly. And uh, and I think that I think the it also kickstarted uh, Vinnie Jones' kind of career in film. Oh yeah. So he went from strength to strength, and I remember he just became huge at the time. And he went on to star in uh, a couple of other British movies at the time. There was a, a remake of The Longest Yard. 
or the Mean Machine. Oh, that was yeah. a while ago. Yeah, that was yeah. a while ago. So that was just after, and then he also appeared. He went to, to you know, America and the oh, US, course. and he was and like X Men, and yeah. he was in Sixty Seconds or Gone, Gone in Sixty, 60 Seconds. Yeah, yeah. And he was like, didn't speak all the way through, except the last scene of the film. So it was the start of his kind of career. All the footballers who could have made, I mean, like Cantona retired around there, went off to be, you know, so he was going to become an actor. Yeah. All this, you know, much more charismatic <laughs> of all the footballers in the world, Vinnie Jones became yeah. you know, a, a star, which is kind of really weird. Um, well, and then Jason Statham was, you know, sort of, I remember seeing... Um, an Olympic diver? He was an Olympic diver, and uh, I think he was a fashion model for He French was a Connection. model as well. Like, he got spotted and became a model. He appeared in several music videos as well, actually. Ah. And in fact, ironically... No, not, not just uh, Vindaloo, that everyone was in. <laughs> um, but no, he also... Um, he was also to make ends meet while he was appearing in music videos and while he was mo- male modeling and while he was trying to make a living as a diver. He was also literally selling stuff on street corners as well. Ah. Um, was he was he selling things that he found while diving? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but apparently, yeah, that's what got him the role in this. Was apparently the fact that they believed that he could make a convincing street vendor at the side of the street. Yeah, yeah. Um, but th- there is there is a lot of that in this film. This film was a famously low budget, kind of cobbled together, desperately assembled, kind of frantically put together piece of work. Um, famously, you know, and in terms of production budget. Um, Britain hand, Britain's handmade films were in and agreed to finance the budget for $5 million, $5 million US, right? Four days before production was begin, was due to start, they pulled out, leaving Matthew Vaughn, the producer, uh, nearly half a million dollars in debt, appropriately oh, enough, given wow. the premise of the movie. Um, but basically, in, in desperation, Vaughn slashed the budget from $5 million to $1.6 million and pushed back the start of filming. Then... February, sorry, September 1997, they were ready to begin shooting. Like, ready to begin next day, they're going to start shooting. Vinnie Jones was arrested on charges of assault for punching his neighbour. That's true, I remember that. I remember that he got arrested for... He had an altercation with his neighbour, his next-door neighbour, I think, over some kind of... I know work that was being done on the house or something like that. I can't remember exactly. But it was something stupid, but yeah, he got arrested... So, I don't know if he got charged and... Well, obviously, he didn't go to jail, but it looks the thing. No, no, he, he, got, he got held, though. And again, that pushed back shooting as, as well, which is... And it's not like this movie was the the, the first indication of uh, <laughs> Vinnie Jones' hired man. Yeah. So, you'd, you'd wonder what the neighbour was... Well... No, no, <laughs> not that we're blaming the neighbour, to be clear. <laughs> yeah. Well, he had a reputation at Wimbledon for being oh, yeah. a scummy... Uh, you know, kind of. Well, he was not the cleanest of. Uh, I like that you revised that from like he had a reputation for being a scum. No, wait, no, no. no <laughs> Just in case is. he's listening. Yeah, you know, yeah. Not, door, not, not the gentlest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's not so, in your language. Uh, he wouldn't yeah. be someone that kid. you would be having an argument with because there's a footballer. He there was a famous picture actually of yes. him holding um, the uh, Gazers. Yeah, yeah Gazers um, Christmas balls, as it were. Family what? too. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. okay. Okay. He's uh, he, he, he's. Uh, you haven't seen the photo, Darren. No. It's, 
he he's he's holding Gaza's family jewels and he, he's he's placing them on like a black satin sheet. Oh, okay. Just to to pre, pre, present to, to 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 give you a visual image. Of, thank, thank you for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, not at all a euphemism, but yeah. The, so basically, the, and the film ran into all sorts of trouble during production as well, and even like distributing it. Um, it was a massive problem or a challenge facing Vaughn and and various uh, you know other people working on it as well. The wine scene company passed on this, which again is, is a weird thing to say in the context of because again we've been discussing nineteen ninety nine. It's always been yep, this was a Weinstein company release, yeah. Miramax release, like this was independent cinema. They passed on it. They refused to distribute it in the states. Apparently, what happened is they had to uh, they brought on board Stephen Tisch, who produced Forrest Gump as well, along with Hollywood restaurateur Peter Morton, who just happened to be uh, Matthew Vaughn's godfather as well. Um, Vaughn joked that they were known as laughing stock and two smoking overdrafts uh, within the production community as well. Um, what actually got them released in the end uh, was Trudy Styler. Yeah, I saw a, that yeah. in the production. Yeah. There was an executive producer credit for uh, Trudy Styler, who is yeah. actually yeah, Sting's yeah. wife. If I remember it is right. right. Um, so s- she and her husband provided 10% of the budget for the film as well. And um, were also instrumental in setting up meetings in Hollywood. And what they did was they managed to wrangle Tom Cruise to actually appear at one of those screenings. And apparently they, and they also, not only did they get Tom Cruise to appear, they wrangled the, they stage managed his arrival so that everybody was in the room before Tom Cruise walked in. So nobody could miss the fact that Tom Cruise was attending this screening of this low budget British indie film. And then they managed to sell it the next day, apparently. Wow. Which is uh, is quite something. Massively successful in the United Kingdom. Second only to Sliding Doors at the box office that year. To give a sort of sense of scale of success of this. Mm. Less successful in the States at the time. Only took $3 million in its total theatrical run. Apparently what they did to sell this, which is interesting. Um, they used Lads magazines. And this is probably what you're talking about with Nick Moran. Yeah, oh, so he was on the, uh, the cover of GQ. For what seemed like every, you know, kind of couple of months and... He seemed to be one of their main sort of um, staples, although he never seemed to appear in any further films of any note. Um, an interesting thing as well is there was a documentary on him of Nick Moran going to America um, and doing a few um, screen tests for major movies. In fact, this one on of, Sky One. Uh, I can't remember when it was, but I remember seeing that. So basically, he they were filming him going in. For an interview, because he got a, he went with his girlfriend to Hollywood, and he actually got a, a script. They were saying, "Oh, yeah, I'm reading the script," and it was through a Jackie Chan movie. Ah. That um, there was somebody else actually got the part in the end. And I'm uh, trying to think now, could it be Shanghai Nights? Yeah, that's exactly what it was. Yeah, Owen Wilson. Uh, yeah, yeah. Shanghai Noon. Shanghai, Shanghai Noon. Yeah. Sorry, Shanghai Nights was after the fact. The sequel. Yeah, yeah with Aidan yeah. Gillen. Ah, but he was, uh, and it was interesting because. I remember as well, there was, um, he attended this party and he was laughing and joking with um, uh, another British actor who became really famous at the time. And he was almost like the same kind of level, but um, the name escapes me now, but he was in Sherlock Holmes and 
went on to do a whole raft of movies and he's now... Jude Law? Jude Law, exactly. Ah. Because Jude, around 1999, he was just becoming... Yeah, really the talent of Mr. Ripley was sort of, I think, around Yeah, the exactly. Yeah, so would have been, what, 98, Yeah, yes. and would have been what launched him. Yeah. To Americans, anyway, because he was in Gattaca around 98 as well. Yeah, yeah. So he'd been in a couple of movies as well. So it was quite interesting. So it looked like Nick Moran's... He was going to be one of the new faces of, of British cinema. Um, and then he, he kind of disappeared, you know, sort of later on. But yeah. in this film, he was very good. I've yeah. actually, I've actually met uh, Miss Moran, uh, Mr. Moran, actually, because I, um, he, he does a lot of touring now with the film, actually, and does special screenings of the film and stuff like that. So the Jameson um, did a special screening of it a couple of years ago here in Ireland, and he was, he was there for it. Right. They didn't manage to get Jason Statham, um, unfortunately. Um, Who's now the magazine cover? Um, he he does men's health loads. Yeah. But yeah, I imagine that that makes such a. It makes such sense in terms of 1998 because lads mags were so popular. Yeah. Loaded and FHM, FHM and Time Out were yeah. all over this apparently, yeah. Well, Time Out isn't the... Doesn't fall into the same mag. category as no. Loaded. Or, yeah. Time Out's for the gentleman. Well, I think GQ was for, the, for the gentleman. Time Out's, time out's for everyone. Yeah, fair point. But I think the... Yeah, it would have fitted into that, you know, that kind of Britannia moment where you had a lot of the British fans of you know, Oasis being big, um, Blur. Blur. I mean, even over in the States, Spice Girls and stuff like that were beginning to break. And yeah, like Spice so World had been a couple of years earlier. Kind of so. And the lads mags were really big where everyone was kind of working class, kind of heroes, this kind of thing. So it wasn't so cool to be sophisticated. And football was really big. Premier League had kicked off, I guess. Yeah. You know, um, a couple of seasons in. So it was that time where working class heroes were, you know, that, that kind of became very popular to be a, a, a geezer if you like and this film kind of solidified that kind of idea of of what was it to be a lad as opposed to being politically correct and Britpop you know. was very kind of on that wave like exactly it, it yeah. was sort of the end of a you know period of you know rules like self-cultural self-confidence yeah. kind of an yeah. and assertiveness I think you know through it's, if anything it's maybe a movie is sort of at the the later stages yeah. of that but through you know the mid 90s through to the end mm. I mean it seems a a long way away, but then it was really uh, yeah. sort of so assertive time. Yeah, because I mean, even Train Spotting a couple of years earlier, which is a huge influence on this. Very when you're watching it, very much so. Yeah, I, I think his subsequent films were a little bit better. Obviously, he had a bit more budget. So um, I remember seeing this, but I couldn't Sorry, a little remember. Bit better. Not, yeah, I think the next film. And um, we've hit, we've hit the first snag. <laughs> ah, okay. So, but the funny thing is, this one I can't remember it. I remember watching it, and I remember all the characters, but I, I really couldn't remember any of the story of what happened throughout. I mm. remember Nick Moran. I remember Jason Statham, Dexter Fletcher. I remember um, the guy who played the well, the governor. I remember him because he was a big, uh, you know, kind of underworld figure type gangster um he was known as you know lenny mclean and then he had a a uh he had a book out a little bit later and he actually got arrested for and the film is dedicated to his memory he um he had pneumonia he had a a cold which he thought was pneumonia during production went to a doctor after they wrapped filming and discovered that he had brain cancer Um, and he passed away a month before the film was released in british cinemas wow i didn't know that to be honest i know that he'd got arrested for He'd been a, a nightclub bouncer and he hit this guy because he thought he was drunk. But apparently he the, the chap wasn't drunk. He had some kind of 
I don't know, issue. Oh, some right. kind yeah, of, yeah. Um, it's like mentals. I mean, not the movie. Yeah, something happened to, he was having a, a fit or a stroke or some, some kind of, uh, um, episode and the McLean had hit him and this guy, had, I don't know what it was, he died or not, but he, he certainly had some kind of issues and he'd got, um, arrested Compensation. Yeah. 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 Some, something happened. I don't know. But I remember he was known as a, a bit of a, an underworld figure. If that's, if you can say that, but say... Well, know, he's passed away. He can't sue us for libel. No, I mean, but it, well, I, I think, shall we say he was well-respected in the... Um, Community. Yeah, of... Yeah. But in, ter- in terms the of... Geezer guy- fraternity. <laughs> he was a top top He wouldn't be a guy that... I mean, if you're called the governor, there must be a reason, <laughs> there yeah. must be a reason I, for that. And I'm, I'm not necessarily holding a military station. No. I'm no, being no. shocked. In, it only happened once, but in in first time I moved to London in 2006, being shocked when somebody used uh, the word governor. Uh, and as I say, I lived uh, subsequently in, in, in London for a few years and never heard it again. <laughs> but it, it, was, it was, yeah. You see, was, uh, you just didn't watch the Sweeney in the 70s because every Well, no, was... I had watched a lot of television where they say it. <laughs> yeah. I just wasn't expecting it to be in, in, real, in life. real life. Yeah, yeah. that they were going to say governor, governor. It was when I went into this um, kind of, um, a, a, I think it was like a casino or bookies or something. And in in Islington, I said, "Oh, I, I saw the um, I saw the uh, the poster in 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 the window because I was looking for a job, um, and I'm I'm uh, I'm your man." <laughs> and it's like, "That's a wanted poster, <laughs> governor." <laughs> I was like, oh, "Okay, I'm not your man." Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's job. not it's not help wanted. <laughs> it's, um, <laughs> He's wanted for armed robbery. Yeah. It's like, yep, no, not that guy. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's worth noting, actually, Vaughn is an interesting... Uh, sorry, not Vaughn, sorry. Um, Richie is an interesting figure, actually. Because his first three films feature on the IMDb's lists of, like, best and worst movies ever. His first two movies are on the list of the best movies ever made. So this and Snatch are yeah. both in the top 250. What's remarkable is he immediately follows that up with something that lands on the bottom 100, which is swept away. Yes. Yeah, because I I think around this time as well he he got married. To, well, he started an affair with uh, Madonna. Yes, because he... Madonna had listened to the soundtrack of this movie. Right. Really liked it, and apparently invited himself and Matthew Vaughn to dinner. She's not wrong. It's a good soundtrack. It's yeah, good. yeah, 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 wicked soundtrack. Yes. But I think they they started going out, and then he you know he'd done this song, but he's from Gentry, is he? He's kind of well, yeah, yes. well connected. That, that's the the, the uh, you remember that Channel Four. Um, series where they used to have kind of real life stories of celebrities where they were where where they would have them played by uh comedians and um yeah where where um they they did one on guy Ritchie and had uh, uh warren Beatty as dick tracy trying to talk talk him out of um uh, uh following madonna and yeah they they had a flashback to him when 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 I was just a young nipper, <laughs> and it shows him like in you know what if uh, with those like little caps with the with the with the stripes <laughs> on and the blazer and everything. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, this is one they 
observations that has been made of Richie for all that he cultivated a reputation as a hard man, as a hard man particularly in the, in the press, but also when he went over to America in terms of selling this idea of somebody who was familiar with the life depicted in um, Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels. Mm. Um, he was actually, he was from a wealthy family. His, ad, his father was an ad executive who created the famous Hamlet cigar commercials. And we'll see if we can include those in the, in the, uh, in the, in yeah, podcast notes. Yeah, to promote smoking. I know, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, inappropriate smoking now in your podcast notes section. He also divided his youth between a series of private schools in London and a 17th century country mansion in Stropshire. So, I mean, Proper he's from the streets. Yeah. <laughs> <Proper naughty. laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, this was sort of one of the things about Richie, sort of like, which is kind of very much juxtaposed with how he sells himself. Well, yeah, because if you looked at the interviews at the time, he was wearing, always wearing a green bomber jacket, you know, and he was in the company of, of you know, the likes of less sophisticated individuals, maybe. Well, I mean, he, um, he you know, consulted with gangsters in making this. He gave several of them small, small roles and stuff like smores. that in the background. Yeah. Um, so he liked to give himself street cred and stuff yeah. like that, basically. Um, anyway, so yeah, just just quickly before we move into the s'more zone, talk about the film a bit more depth. We have three three questions that we ask us. So, um, Dave, I don't know if you want to go first, but um, do you think that this movie, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, belongs on a list of the two hundred and fifty greatest movies ever made? So, what do you mean by so an objective yeah, kind just, of yeah? If you were compiling a list that you think are the best movies ever made, as opposed to your favorite, like uh, would this be on there? No. <laughs> Very quick answer. Yeah. Um, is there? Um, is I mean, you know, two hundred fifty movies is a very small number of movies. But is and is there something that keeps it off? Would it be close? Would it be near? Would it be far? I suppose it's. I mean, it's sort of of its time in a way. It's mm. kind of a. I mean, in a way, I was quite surprised it was on. You know, the two fifty day. I yeah. thought it would be. Particularly for, like, because the list is, you know, largely dominated by American movies, to pick an example, and doesn't necessarily have a lot of British movie representation on there. It is rather odd that this one is there. I think it's, 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 it seems to fit with the way 250 um, voters vote, though. It seems like, like, this is the kind of movie that if it were going to break into America, it would break as a kind of a cult hit with uh, men who would now be kind of in their 30s. 30s or 40s, yes. Who would have been, yeah, teenagers at the time. People who vote on the IMDb 250. People who like Leon and, um, I suppose, like, obviously The Godfather and that sort of thing. But even, yeah, like Raging Bull, for example. But even Warrior, uh, which is one of those movies that I think you and I have both been very confused by its presence on this list. Right, right. I mean, I, I suppose it, I mean, I enjoy. I certainly enjoyed it. You know, the sort of the you know the plot and the humor and the fun of it. But I mean, you couldn't say it has much sort of human depth. <laughs> no. Under yeah, sort of, yeah. Once you go beneath, the, there's a lovely surface, yeah. like a very sort of shiny, nice surface. Underneath that, there's not so much. I, mean, I think I've maybe seen 250 movies that probably had more of a depth to yeah. it um, about the human condition. Yes. <laughs> I like I like that you, you, know, you now know that you're not going to get asked the big question after the spoiler zone. So, Babu, you're going to have to find some depth on this movie. But, before we get there, what about yourself? Do you think that this belongs on a list of the 250 greatest movies ever made? Well, in keeping with the, the other podcasts that we've done, and you asked me that question, I would say the same same answer, really, no. Um, yeah. Babu maintains a very high standard. Well, I, I think that this, this film is very much... Um, like, if you look at a Richard Curtis movie, uh, Four Weddings and a Funeral, 
Notting Hill, it represents a, an English kind of class system of what people think English people are like, you know. Of, and I think this would be an indication of what other people think that British working class people are like. Um, and neither are accurate, really. So, no. And I think it's a good film. It's interesting. But I think there are a lot more better films out there than particularly even if you have some indication or some knowledge of British films. And there's a lot of films in the 60s that were really good, you know, that, that portrayed British working life, uh, working class life a lot better. This is just... There's like a kitchen sink sort of dramas and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, I mean, you know, it. exactly. I mean, Ken Loach's films are really great, but I was thinking more, I don't know, like Kez was a superb film. And yeah, and, and uh, Rita Tushingham films. Uh, some of those were the 60s films were... But brilliant, you know. I think that would have been more, you know, realistic, shall we say? This is just knockabout comedy, and I, I think, um, I think they made a TV series out of it. They know? did indeed, yes. Yeah, which uh, I never saw, but you know, the uh, legacy and impact of Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels is almost impossible to measure. Uh, particularly if like this will be very, this will be interesting to I think Irish and American listeners. British listeners have probably just absorbed all this passively. Uh, but in terms of like Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels was a hugely influential film in terms of what got made in Britain after the fact. You started lunch seeing... Lunchboxes? <laughs> yeah, no. Everybody's favourite lunchbox had Vinnie Jones on it. Uh, but no, it started like you started seeing obviously a raft of imitation in terms of crime films and stuff like that. You have Paul McQuiggan, who's probably best known now as a director on Sherlock. He did like Gangster Number 1. Mm-hmm. And he was, he, was, he was giving interviews while like promoting Gangster Number 1 that amounted to... I really didn't want to make a British gangster film, but this was all they were giving me money to make. So I guess that's what I'm doing, which may explain why he's now directing TV. But even things like, obviously, uh, Jonathan Glazer doing Sexy Beast a couple of years later. Um, and you had this sort of like, it even sparked a bit of a moral panic as well. Uh, John Abbott at the Met, uh, who was, I think, well, Chief Constable. It's Constant. not like this was the advent of the British, uh, gangsters British gangster are, movie. They're, I mean, they're Michael all Kane, like, Yeah, so. like with the Ipocrist Files and... and um, uh, uh, get Carter, yeah, and 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 that sort of thing. But and it d- it did breathe new life into it, certainly, and it sort of like for a large period of time, it seemed like British cinema was defined by that kind of film. Again, in the same way that we talked about like cinema paradiso, meaning it, that like a lot of the films that came out of it, you know, Europe to American markets after that were modeled in that style. So things like Amelie, for example, even things like The Legend of Nineteen Hundred. So you know, I, I think- it's a funny way these things work, though. Because it, it it like when whenever whenever I guess there's there's a breakout movie, um, in say British cinema, they say that very specific genre is what people want. <laughs> you know, like 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 with with um, I suppose with uh, um, uh, East is East and kind of uh, oh, bend it like Beckham. Bend it like Beckham. There, there, there is there is a yeah. the. There's a real kind of a interest in in in, kind of in making movies infusion, and television yeah. like that. Yeah, like um, for example, I mean, was there the Bride and Prejudice? I think as well. It was around the same time built right. on the success of those films. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think that this is just I can understand why uh, Paul McGovern would have been given that kind of money because, again, it's it's just uh, the financiers would think right, okay, a hit film came out. Let's see how fast we yeah. can get other films out of a similar so ilk, was... and then you know the time frame becomes very short and then so okay this is a hit film let's see if we can get a copy so you imagine them going into a pitch so it's lock stock and two smoking barrels this type of film british gangsters yeah great it's send it to me in a, in a minute though. and uh 
But Paul McGuckin did quite well. With, I think he went to America as well. Did he do Aces something? Well, he did the answer. Like, is it, is it yeah. let's release this movie so that people, if they're not looking closely, will we'll mistake it for Or is it that they go into the shop and it's like, oh, we're all out of Lockstock. Do you want one of these gangster number ones? <laughs> it's like Coke and Pepsi. And it's, yeah. uh, or, or you're looking at it and Lockstock is nine pounds. <laughs> and, uh, seven, yeah. Uh, yeah, gangster number one is seven. Okay. And you're like, it's just as good, I swear. Well, I, I yeah. think Lockstock and... Uh, is, is a different it was more of a comedy version it kind of like knockabout cheeky chappies america you know kind of london cockney geezers was gangster number one is very much you know there was one scene in that i remember it was just he was so quiet and i think i don't know it was marston michael marston was in it or you know and there was a kitchen scene where the amount of uh violence yeah, yeah it, well, the tension, the yeah, possibility, it scared the living daylights out of you. With so this one, the, movie, yeah, yeah. yeah. was this one didn't really give you that. That's like it's a, it's not a gangster film; it's a comedy yeah. film first. Exactly. Yeah, and yeah. the thing, you know, the tradition it kind of reminded me of the most, um, you know, going back is about the Ealing comedies, like Kind Hearts and Coronets, The Lavender Hill Mob, The Lady Killers. Lady Killers. Yeah. They're all very vi- actually very violent with a very grim sense of humour. Yeah. In them. I mean, not as much sort of blood as in that, but it seemed to me the exact same sort of thing. It's not so, a gritty film. It's in that sort of yeah, wacky, yeah. gallows humour, kind of everyone Irony kills each other yes, kind of yeah. funny, you know. Which are, yeah, even the violence is sort of, yeah, it's darkly comic as opposed to like brutal and shocking and like, oh my God. Although there are elements where you're like, this is, yeah. Yeah, it, it's a funny one that, because I think they also want to do very um, a, a graphic disturbing violence at the same time yeah. where it's almost like um, to remind you that the, the focus is on gangsters well, yeah, and crime, the crime world I guess may, maybe I don't know does Guy Ritchie want yeah that he, that he wants to make that kind of you know fun um, Ealing uh, comedy sort of but also to say oh just in case you think that I I'm, I'm soft I'm, I'm, I'm hard I, yeah. I'm, I'm very very hard yeah um, but um, it is worth noting as well that this spawned an entire cottage industry of imitators, including direct-to-video, actually. There's a huge uh, amount of direct-to-video films that are sort of inspired or sort of like many people trace their roots back, including, say, things that would uh, involve gangsters. Many of the British gangsters who would have been consulted on this, for example, would have gone on to work on direct-to-video uh, sort of films like The Football Factory and stuff like that. Um, but I actually really like, just, uh, just, to bring, just to bring this back, because I found this is one of those tangential notes, but I think it's worth uh, pointing to because I find this mildly amusing. Um, when they're talking about uh, distributor Jez Ver- Vernon, who's made his career kind of channeling in knockoffs of Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels on DVD, uh, like low-rent imitations starring Vinnie Jones in some cases. And he talks about, you know, we always talk about the buyer of the film that we're selling. We call him Darren, which I quite like. For someone like Darren... <laughs> There's a certain boredom about his existence and the attraction to gangsters or football hooligans has a certain aspirational element to him. It might sound worrying, but we liken it to music. The mainstream in UK music has always liked poetic thugs, from Byron to Liam Gallagher. Darren likes the paradox, both the masculinity of it and the denial of it. Oh, tracks, yeah. Yeah, it just, <laughs> it all makes perfect sense. Well, there was a film, if I remember, the bloke from, what was it now? He, was it Green Street? Yeah, yeah. With, 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 Elijah, with Frodo Baggins. Elijah, yeah, exactly. Elijah Woods, who yeah. becomes a football hooligan. Right. You know, so I think it's this idea of... Um, there was a certain amount of... Well, we, 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 we haven't... And we have an actual uh, East End <laughs> geezer. Yeah. yeah. He's a geezer. Uh, yeah. He's sitting yeah. right next to us. 
Don't you? 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 Don't when Billy uh, Jones was smashing that guy's head in. I mean, with the car, yeah. Oh, I was like, it took back. me back. <laughs> <laughs> there, was a, there was actually a story uh, about that where he was, Vinnie Jones was saying that um, Guy Ritchie was trying to explain to him how to, you know, do this thing. So, right, Vinnie, what I want you to do, I want you to be really angry and I, and I want you to get into character and I want you to, you know, like, you, you, you're kind of like... And was he whispering? You're shoving this... Well, yeah, very quietly. <laughs> <violent. laughs> or, or, or was he talking at, at a <laughs> Like a normal person. Yeah. Look, this is the way directors talk to characters. Okay. <laughs> to, to actors, you know, they, they were trying to... Says Babu, who is neither a director nor an actor, but anyway. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, and he goes, yeah, I think I know how to do that. And I think it was that scene where he's uh, <laughs> bashing the head uh, yeah. against the, the, the door. Yeah, because that's very kind of... It, 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 it is violent, yeah. And I think that's kind totally, of like, possibly yeah. similar to what happened to the neighbour, but I believe in the garden <laughs> with okay. no car. Well, yeah, well, that, that, un, unlike uh, Mr. McLean, uh, Vinnie Jones is still very much alive. So let's, let's avoid <laughs> making any insinuations that may lead him to sue us or... <laughs> Take us to his car door. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's more likely to take us to his car door. Mind your language in front of the boy. Because I've heard he's a right scum. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. Whoops. Um, um, you're just enhancing his reputation. Um, but yeah, so Andrew, uh, what about yourself? Do you think that this belongs on the list of the 250 greatest movies That's ever what made? That's like a morning for Vinnie Jones. It's like his agent kind of sits him down and uh, pulls out some, oh, and there's some good buzz about it. There's some people telling you, uh, talking about <laughs> what a proper hard bastard you are. It's like, fantastic. <laughs> um, did you make that happen? Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> of course, um, Mr. Jones. Yeah, yeah. What, what, what did I make of it? Would it be in the... T- it, would it be in the 250 well i guess there there aren't there aren't that many um on the one hand there aren't that many um uh, british movies on the list um yeah, are there this and yeah. snatch for example and, yeah and, you know, but but i mean the 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 250 is over served for these for these kinds of movies anyway yeah, yeah. um now i did quite like it but um what i put on the top 250 um possibly not because yeah, they, they're, 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 I, I would, I would like to hear what what the movie means um, for David. But yeah, I would agree with him that uh, uh, depth isn't really where 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 it's at. You could maybe kind of, I'm sure Darren is going to impose some <laughs> <laughs> from above. I'm going to structure it. Yeah, I'm just going to come down like a hammer on it. I'm going to beat it with a black dildo of truth. Tr- um, but no, I, I would. Are they uh, pushing westward? <laughs> I start in the East End where the sun rises and then they sort of move. Anyway, but that's for later. I kind of agree with that, actually. My, I don't think it belongs on the list. I respect it a great deal. I think it's it's a hugely important influential film, as we've discussed already. But a large part of it is that it feels highly... And again, this is this is his first film. This is Richie's first film. And it's phenomenal as a first Incredible. film. Incredible. It yeah. is, abso- like, to be absolutely clear. So anything that you know I say after this point comes with that sort of caveat of praise. But... Like a lot of first films, it's highly, highly, highly derivative of other films. And in fact, other films that are included on this list. Like, so for example, and again, this is a pre-spoiler zone, so we're going to be generic. The opening scene recalls train spotting, to pick an obvious example as well, where you have a character narrating over a sequence of two characters being chased by the police frantically through British streets. But even things like the structuring recalls a lot of, quaint, say, Tarantino's work, the non-linear storytelling, yeah. the sort of emphasis on conversational it's kind of dialogue. unapologetic. Yeah. And, and like, it, it, der- derivative in a way that you would expect 
a real kind of a student and admirer yeah. of, of, of these movies yeah. to be. It's not it's not a huge flaw with the film. I mean, in fact, even like the characters pause at several points to acknowledge their influences. They talk about like how they learned everything they need to know about drug dealing from Scarface. Right. Another movie on the 250 to pick an example there as well. So I think that you're right that the 250 is overserved with movies like this. And in fact, I'm going to come down hard on Babu's side here and I'm going to say I prefer Snatch to this. Mm. But that's a conversation I feel for... Before I saw it, I did struggle to remember the plot of which was which. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah. I'd probably about 50% of what I remembered was in Snatch, actually. Yeah, it's... yeah I, I think because the character of, of Vinnie Jones was in both films. Yeah. Bullet to Tony. And, yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, it's a different character, but it, it's the same character. If I'm Basically in terms of function, yes. Yeah, so that's what I was thinking. No, and it's also one? got Jason Statham in there as well. Yeah, and only that one had... Brad Pitt in it? Yes. So, yeah. so uh, and actually, Snatch Finney, <laughs> let, let, me, let me tell you what this is going to be about. Um, you're, you're an English teacher who, who believes that you, you can really get the best out of, <laughs> out of, these, out of these students who've, who've been left behind by so many. Oh, no, just kidding. You're a gangster. <laughs> you're a very violent man who's yeah, going to yeah. need to be very exactly. violent over the course of this particular yeah, movie. You're, yeah, yeah. You're, you're getting them to, to express themselves through poetry. No, you're a gangster. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, okay. So then I think that brings us around to the second question. Uh, so, Dave, would this be on your own personal 250? I mean, obviously, you have a list that you keep to hand of your 250 favorite movies ever, right? But I mean, if you were compiling a list, would this be on that? It wouldn't. But I don't, you know, I wouldn't want to dismiss it. I really enjoyed it as well. I think it's got a lot of merit overall. Yeah. But yeah, personally, I, there's probably 250 films that have uh, moved Maybe me more, more in, in my life. It's an amazing desert island where you get to bring <laughs> 250 movies. Not one more, not one less. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, something like, you know, if there's a film like that, I'd rather watch The Lady Killers. Yeah. yeah. Or, yeah, or, or Pulp Dino Fiction or, yeah, or even yeah. like Train Spotting or you can't, yeah, that sort of stuff. Um, and Babu, yourself. No, I don't. I don't think it would be. But I, I think that you know, just our discussion kind of indicates that it, you can see how influential the film would have been. Because if you think that Guy Ritchie now, some twenty years on, is just did um, a remake, Aladdin, Aladdin, Aladdin. Yeah, he's sort of transitioned into blockbuster film. Become huge, a huge film. Um, What's interesting though about like Guy Ritchie's blockbuster work is that like a lot of directors, he did Aladdin. He did Aladdin. He did. Because that uh, was a very big movie. Oh, a billion dollars. Yeah. yeah. Disney's big and they probably knew before doing it that it was going to be a billion dollars. Yeah. And we again, wanted like someone we can trust. A guy which was... Yeah. That, he doesn't have a perfect uh, <laughs> record. Uh, record very far. Like often they, they pick somebody... They, it would make sense if they were making Aladdin in like 2001 maybe. Yeah, Guy To Ritchie. pick Guy Ritchie. Um, or even like 2009 after Sherlock Holmes had been like a huge box office success with Robert Downey Jr. so, yeah. Um, but he's he's had some disappointments since then. Yeah, King like, Arthur, for yeah, example. Yeah, and yeah. even The Man from Uncle, although a lot of people like The Man from Uncle. I love the, the Man from Uncle. I, I thought that, yeah, I thought I really enjoyed that. What's... Like these Disney remakes, they're not the sort of films where people are going, right, we need someone who's got their own <laughs> ideas. Strong <laughs> artistic vision, yeah. Right out of the way. All right, mate, you need to just... <laughs> copy that film yeah. just watch it and then make, <laughs> make it again I love the idea that like during initial planning Guy Ritchie was sitting down and he's like so Vinny have <laughs> I got a part for you in this I want to be a prince you want a princess well I'll show you that <laughs> you ain't never had a friend like me sunshine he's like what why do you seem so scared <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I, I, I think the interesting thing, though, is... Big, that, I'm blue. And I'm, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, the, the thing is, I remember reading a newspaper reports, like a, a, an article at the time, where really he, after swept away, I think he had a couple of missteps, and it was almost like he... After was, swept away. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just well, to be clear, the dark ages of his career began yeah, after Yeah, because swept away. I think he got involved in television, if I remember correctly. He was like an executive producer or something like that. And they were thinking, ah... That's going to be his. That's the end of his kind of career as a filmmaker, um, and he'll just go into TV. This was before Netflix and before Amazon Prime and before, you know, whatever Hulu, whatever. Um, this was after kind of you know the likes of Sopranos, which kind yeah. of started. Yeah, but, prestige, I mean, before I should, but what I mean is that he he basically was going to be almost like his career, his film career was dead. Right. But then he he sort of. You know, obviously, I think Sherlock Holmes was the one that... Kind well, he did Revolver first, which again was... Revolver was going back to, to basics. Popular with a certain amount of people, yeah. yeah. Like, Revolver was like, let's just do what I did with Lockstock and with Snatch. Because this is the thing with, with Richie, is that, like... That didn't make of, sense, though, did When it? a lot of directors go to... When a lot of directors, like, scale up or kind of level up or become, like, big blockbuster directors. I'm thinking things like, say, Christopher Nolan, for example, who would have been to the same school as this. He also... He couldn't get any British financing around this time as well because all the money was in gangster films. Ah. Uh, but even things like um, people like, say, Ava DuVernay, who went up and did, like, a... a was it A Wrinkle in Time? When you see those directors move up, typically they bring their stylistic quirks with them. So like Nolan's films, you can trace it sort of from his early films up to his blockbusters, the same interests and same ideas. Same thing with DuVernay with Wrinkle in Time even, but even Spielberg, like going from Jewel and stuff like that up to Jaws. And he has a consistent through line through his career. Richie is interesting because you look at like this and you look at Snatch and you look at Revolver and you think there's somebody who has a voice. I'm not entirely sure what that voice is exactly, but it's a sensibility that's very distinct and then you look at the blockbusters that he's made and they're very they're very generic blockbusters. I mean, you point out Aladdin. It's like literally watch the film, make the film again, but add 40 minutes. Um, yeah, I, mean, I think that he just... I think he probably got to a point where he wasn't going to make a career doing the kind of movies that he was doing. And the other interesting thing is you mentioned that it was derivative. A lot of, the, uh, a lot of his work... Samus Tarantino is derivative of other people's work. And I don't. Are we we haven't hit the spoiler zone yet, have we? No, no. So we won't mention it. But um, <laughs> no, no, yeah. the sort of tease, sort of tease teaser. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you look at some of the film score, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Where you it know, draws it's, from. It's, you can see where it draws you know, mm. that from. So, yeah. um, which actually is probably one of the. Well, if we say that this film is like a derivative of Tarantino's movies. Tarantino's are derivative of everything else. Of everything else. And, and when you look at this movie, there are bits of it that, okay, he's copied it from Tarantino, who copied it from... Yeah. And so he's bypassed and Tarantino and, we're and gone straight well to the source. Yeah. How people are copying it. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. It's all very 1999, baby. But um, I think it's just... Yes, a, <laughs> <laughs> I think he knew that he probably wasn't going... And the other thing as well is that something like Snatch, something like... It is very culturally, you know, kind of not divert. I mean, King Arthur was, you know, geezers again, but and that didn't work. It just <laughs> David Beckham as an executioner. Yeah, I, I really like King Arthur, but I was surprised really? that it did flop. Okay. You know, uh, was it Charlie Hunnam? Charlie Hunnam, yes. Yeah. Uh, so and Jude Law. Of Green Street. <laughs> yeah, but was I mean, he? Yeah. Okay. Wow. I just well, know from Sons of Anarchy. Wasn't, wasn't uh, yeah. 
Charlie Hunnam doing the terrible um, uh, Cockney impression. As a, as a West Ham United fan, <laughs> I've never watched Greenstone. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a feeling I might have a few thoughts, <laughs> nitpicks, <laughs> or observations. So best I leave it alone. Yeah, it was all right. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. And Andrew, what about yourself? Do you think that this would be on your own personal 250? So if you had 250 favourite movies, would this make the list? Um, sorry, yeah, I'm, 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 not, I'm not sure. I mean, yeah, I, 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 I enjoy it a lot. But no, I'd, 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 say, um, I'd say I might be able to come up with... Um, 250 with, better choices. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the interesting thing is, like, what, what would I be comparing this to? I'd probably... I probably agree with um, uh, with Dave in terms of kind of bringing in the 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 alien comedies. Yeah. I haven't I haven't seen Kind Hearts. I've seen I've seen the Lady Killers, yeah. which I think is better than this, and would would be would would be more would likely to, to belong in yeah, yeah. in there. Yeah. I mean, yeah, Kind Hearts of Carnets has been one of those movies that was in and out and sort of disappeared. Yeah, and in terms of like British movies, I I'd, I'd, I'd probably um, um, I'd probably put. Um, uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy in that's yes. that's yeah. yeah, like it feels like that is in the but it's not. No, no, no. it's not. Yeah. which is very strange. Yeah. All right, and then finally, final question, which is: If listeners have not already watched Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, would you recommend that they pause the podcast, run out, watch it, come back, and listen to the rest of our discussion, Dave? I, I would recommend people to watch it. Actually, yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, definitely because um. 20 years later, you can see how the careers of some of the people who were in that film have uh, progressed, particularly Jason Statham, you know, um, yeah, I I think. And Matthew Vaughan, who was originally produced it. Yeah. Then at some point when Guy Ritchie became too big, um, he then did the, well... Bond became a director in his own right. He directed stuff like Layer Cake and then moved on to doing his own yeah, movies. So, so he did like... Um, Layer Cake, I think that he originally was... Because a lot of the Richie films, the early ones, he produced. Yeah. Richie directed. And I think Layer Cake, I don't know whether he Richie was available. So he decided to direct it himself. Yeah. And of course, then he went on to... Do X-Men First Class. And similar like kind of Man and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah Kingsman. Yeah. So yeah. he became a, a big director in his own right uh with, kick-ass in particular I guess. yes well um yeah with worth noting actually in terms of uh, vaughn's involvement uh claudia schiffer originally had a role in this uh, she was going to play yeah eddie's girlfriend apparently test audiences did not react well they found her incongruous and distracting in the context of the film and she was cut it's uh into- to find kind of uh, um, a place to plug <laughs> To a, a place to put Claudia Schiffer <laughs> in the where she won't be uh, <laughs> distracted, yeah. and to put her in an East End gangster <laughs> movie yeah. that would seem incongruous. Maybe people watching for all this. There's not enough men in this film. We don't have enough women in this. Too many women. It's two women dominated. Is the movie that we just watched here. Uh, but yeah, it, like certainly it could do with some women, but it, it's like you know, like a woman, like um, women, uh, Claudia Schiffer, <laughs> and uh, try it, like it was the first woman you can think of. Yeah. <laughs> 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 like, Guy Ritchie, the first woman you... Well, actually, funnily enough, you should mention that because uh, Claudia Schiffer went on to marry Matthew Vaughn. Really? Yeah. Ah. Um, yeah. Lucky guy. Sorry. But. <laughs> uh, 
Yes, but um, yeah. So yeah. I mean, I would say so. You know, you know, sort of a bit sparse there. It's good. I mean, the the plot is incredibly intricate, and I yeah. would struggle to think of films where it's got a huge cast where they balance that many characters. Yeah, very well. yeah, yeah. And the way at the point later when it all sort of intertwines and it comes together absolutely perfectly, it's a really sort of satisfying. Yeah. I was sort of grinning when that bit when it all sort of ties in. Yeah, and yeah. And also, the, you know, a lot of the camera work, there's a million ideas being thrown oh, at yeah. They were yeah. really thrown at If anything, it reminded me a lot of uh, Sam Raimi yeah. more than anyone else, where you just get these constant little visual ideas being thrown yeah. at you, which, you know, is pretty, mm. pretty fun. Yeah, I mean, yeah. well, I, I would argue, yeah. Like, I mean, I mentioned earlier, I think 47 members of the cast had never acted in front of a camera before. And you can see some of that, I think, in some of the performances. But I would argue, like, the star turn in this movie, with no disrespect to, to Nick Moran, is the directorial work. It's very much a showcase for yeah. Richie as a director. It's like, look how much style, look how I work the camera, look I know where to place a camera, look I know how to keep it interesting on a ridiculously low budget. Yeah. I know how to speed things up, I know how to slow things down, I have an eye for a beautiful shot. It's really visually inventive and it just keeps moving, which is, yeah. is remarkable. Not right? having actors can work better than having <laughs> actors in a lot of yeah. cases. Yeah, because uh, it's like, you know, on this guy is like, so I'm, um, I'm, I'm I'm this big um, kind of bouncer type um, person. What's and, my motivation? What is my, yeah, exactly. Yeah, what is my, my motivation, motivation here? Guy. Versus <laughs> just get somebody who is that guy yeah, yeah, yeah. and tell him what to say um, and point a camera at him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which 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 works very well. And if you edit it, kind of right uh, as well. You yeah. Can, yeah. Um, Babu, would you recommend people watch this? Yeah, definitely. Because um, as I say, it's a bit very influential. And if you look at it, it's although it's made on a small budget, it is made with some style. So yeah. if you look at the cinematography, the frame shots, that just it makes everything look glamorous, which on you know is quite difficult on a small budget when you think about the. Yeah, the technical sort of craft involved and stuff yeah. like that. I mean, you know, you have stories about directors who are talking about how difficult it is to get steady cam, to even afford a steady cam when you're making a film at that level. Yeah. Um, and that's sort of like the, all that stuff being taken off you, you know? Yeah, so, yeah, I, th- I think it's done very well. I, so it's Sam it's enjoyable. strapping it to a bicycle, I think, is one example of like how they got around that. I think so. Sort of Evil Dead, they put, yeah. put it on a plank of wood and carried it around. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, and Andrew, what about yourself? Yeah, no, I'd I'd recommend um, if um, it had been a while since I had seen this movie, and um, I, it, it probably didn't mean as much to me as when I first saw it. But um, I'd say to anyone who hasn't seen it in a while to go back and see it. Anyone who hasn't seen it before, it's probably gonna um, uh, impress you. Like you're 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 gonna have a good time. Yeah, it's, it's it really doesn't date actually. When watching it, it didn't it doesn't date all of the stuff that you see on screen. You know, yeah. The way I mean, well, I mean, you know, bits and pieces. Yeah. I mean, okay, I think, I think that like five hundred phones, 000, yeah. maybe. Yeah, yeah the yeah. phones, yeah. yeah, yeah. And five hundred thousand pounds isn't quite what it was back then. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, like, Although when you're listening to this, it probably won't be quite what it was when we were recording it either. So. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but we don't know when this will be. <laughs> the time set is quite ambiguous, though. In some ways, yeah. I mean, they all dress like it's the seventies. The backgrounds look yeah. like the fifties, and, and then you've got these modern flourishes like the phones or whatever they use and they also even have like it's gold tinted as well to give that sort of like sepia sort of like memory you know it is yeah yeah but i I wonder if the kind of um lack of a budget might have um might have helped this in certain ways like because it does have that sort of kind of a a a charming kind of grainy sort of like um uh, sepia quality too yeah that's the three leads are all wearing you know kind of coats and you know the 
the long kind of almost crumbly coat, I guess. Yeah. That kind of look. And it, it's kind of almost timeless. It could be the 50s, could be the 60s, could be 70s. You know, they don't look like they were walking around in flares, flare trousers, or, you know, the kind of 90s clothing that you would imagine them to be wearing. I do think, I would kind of just, I do think it is very 90s, but we'll probably talk about that in the spoiler zone. Spoiler zone. So, Babu, what is Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels about for you? I'd say it's it's very much, um, I guess, a film of its time. So, it is... I think we'd, we'd come out of the 80s where everything was politically correct and all of a sudden we, I think the backlash of that was lads culture, you know, where everyone was trying to be working class and, you know, you had a, a lot of the working class bands that, I don't know if Blur was really working class, but certainly Oasis were huge at the time and, you know, it, it was it was very, you know, kind of fashionable to be working class you know, so you had a, a lot of the. Well, this was the other thing that pulp was kind of had a backlash against with common people, right? With the, uh, you know, so the idea of slubbing it and stuff like that. Yeah, so you got a lot of people and football. Says Darren, who knows nothing about British class structure. We absolutely are not pretending to. No, but I, I think that you know that the football became very big at the time. So, and then you had um, the likes of Chris Evans on the Big Breakfast, right? The, the Big time. Breakfast, but they, then he went they on they to tried uh, to kill it during Friday. the eighties, kind of the. Well, I, the, for, for, for football, that is. Yeah, the, the, well, I mean, and, I think what happened was... The 70s with Thatcher. Yeah, well, I think more... The, the, and it, it was... The 90s were where football 90s. became very... Um, Premiership in 92. Premier League. Yeah. And then it became very fashionable, but very it was not really a working class game anymore because the ticket prices were so high. Yeah, and a lot and of the, the London, television to yeah. actually watch it. Yeah. And the London, the London clubs were doing quite well. So you had the likes of Chelsea... Tottenham, you know, doing really well. Obviously, Man United was still quite dominant. So did. Arsenal as well, they were doing Which really well. Doing, so. doing well. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, I think over the, the years, yeah, I, I'd say that it was kind United of football was better than West Ham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah but yeah. I, I'd say that it was all part of that lads' culture where people were taking. There was a, a skit on one of it, kind of it being mostly kind of you know um, Blackburn, Newcastle, Man United, kind of um, Leeds then. But again, these are kind of Blackburn, yeah, Newcastle, Man United. These are all kind of what would be determined not kind of northern clubs. You could argue less posh, maybe if you if I can say that. Right. So it is again part of that lads' culture because Newcastle is very much you know a working class, I would say, kind of club. Same as Man United wouldn't have been. There are very few clubs that aren't. It's like, like I, I think maybe Chelsea has a reputation for for. Like I wouldn't say Arsenal would be particular. Well, you'd be a Londoner, uh, you know. I think Arsenal would have been because there was a great skit in one of the uh, comedy programs at the time, and there were there's one guy saying, oh, "I don't understand it. How how can how can Dennis Burkamp play for Holland and and play for Arsenal? That can't be on. How's that possible?" So there's obviously all these people that were shown an interest in football. When they didn't really have a genuine interest in football, right. but it was, it was a kind of um, you know fashionable, shall we say, to be the Harry Enfield. It was a fast yeah, show. Fast it was like fast a middle class football football fan. Exactly. And it, yeah. and it's, you know, it's like the you know the bourgeois kind of culture amalgamating a lot of sort of the working class yeah. you know images yeah. and idea, you know, or you know, it's the imagery of it. 
and stuff. Exactly. So I, I think that so it's influential in the in the sense that it's an interesting snapshot, if you like, of of a film of its time. Um, but I think it's still enjoyable now. I don't think it's particularly. I don't think it's dated. You know, okay, the phones maybe. Um, but other than that, a lot of the shots are kind of like, you know, um, the cinematography, the the way that it's it's made. It could be a bit timeless, you could say. So in that respect, it's done quite well. You know, so yeah. And then if you look at the directors have done quite well, the producers have done quite well, some of the leading, uh, you know, the, the actors have done... Three of the four leading characters have done yeah, quite well. Yeah, and, and, you know, so that's, it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Dexter Fletcher obviously went on to become... Uh, well, he went on to direct Rocket Man, you know, yeah, and he obviously yeah. directed, uh, which we discussed uh, last year, oh, really? as well. Yeah, yeah. He was the guy they brought in to fix Bohemian Rhapsody. He also did Eddie the Eagle, which is very good, and Wild did- Bill, which was his directorial debut is well worth seeking out as well if you're, yeah. if you're interested. What about yourself, Dave? What, yeah. what, what, what's, what's... what? Yeah, having having boasted in the kind of pre-spoiler zone section about how there's very little depth to this, we're now going to ask you, what is it What is it about for you? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, again, as a someone who grew up in, in the East End, it doesn't mean a lot. I mean, you couldn't call it sort of a realistic... It's not a documentary, no. no. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's a fantasy kind of projection and that sort of links with that timelessness quality, you know, it's like this sort of, we'll say harmless, but this sort of, like a cartoon underworld, you know, it's the same sort of projection you get in Only Fools and Horses yeah. in EastEnders. It's the yeah. same sort of little world they're creating, but they can swear and there's more blood, but it's yeah. the same sort of cheeky sort kind of, of ironic world. sort of, yeah. I mean, it's, it's worth noting actually this, to, that I have a quote here from Richie, um, which sort of like maybe says something more about Richie than it does about the film. At the age I was, at the age that I was, and more or less still am, that's the kind of thing that young blokes are into, I suppose. I always thought anyone who approached the genre had always painted a rather woolly, wussy picture of the villains. I'm not saying mine were cold bloody, cold bloodedly realistic, but they had a coarseness about them and a credibility that I thought the genre needed. I could never stand Shakespearean actors trying to be Cockney villains when they tried to play a bit of a geezer. How embarrassing was that? Well, he's done kind of the exact opposite. <laughs> yeah. he's, he's made them like everyone in it is really charming yeah. and really articulate. Yeah, and that's well, another thing I do quite like. But is the you know the language is no one's ever talked like that ever. Yeah, like that's yeah. all made up. Like yeah. all, basically all the you know slang in that. It reminded me more of kind of our Anthony Burgess and you know the Drews yeah. and that sort of even even the rhyming slang and stuff like that is most of it oh, okay, is yeah. not you know no one. So actually this is why we have experts on kind of talks. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. but a lot of it, they just sort of, you just find ways to, I mean, I yeah. quite like that. You always admire the craft yeah. more. Yeah. Yeah, because it's so heightened and so unrealistic, you know. Um, but yeah. then, the only, you know, sort of, sort of definite, it, it sort of felt to me about is kind of chance and and sort of chaos and that dog-eat-dog dog mentality. You've got all these different sort of beasts and brutes, almost like a, like a coral reef or something. I sort of imagine An environment all these, almost, yeah. All like, these different sort of the big fish all smashing into each other yeah. and then in the end the little fish swim away completely <laughs> you know after this feeding frenzy yeah. and they just sort of go out of it yeah because there's no authority I thought there's no authority figures apart from the um, parking yeah. you know, gets, gets <laughs> Rob Bryan's parking few vegans okay. yeah. but there's an abs- parking attendance <laughs> there's like an absence of authority figures there's just all these sort of big mean characters smashing into each other yeah. and, if and then it's yeah, sort of the harshness of of life and chance of kind of getting away with these 
schemes, and it's not the big ones who win. Again, yes. no, and it's not the cleverest either. Just the, <laughs> <laughs> just the luckiest, <laughs> yeah. kind of. Which is kind of true in a way. Kind of the a, ones a most life. willing to go along with it to a certain yeah. extent. Yeah, and there's a big sense of it being a zero sum game. Like everybody's out to make all this money, but there's on, there, they, only a they, finite amount. Yeah, that 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 is the same money <laughs> um, that they're all going after. So that so that like it ends up going in a circle around. Exactly. Them. So they end up stealing yeah. from somebody and trying to sell it back to the person who works with the guy they just stole it from. Yeah, gentlemen, exactly. have we stumbled on a real criticism of capitalism? Guy <laughs> <laughs> Richie had us go in there. He's actually this Marxist <laughs> <laughs> critique of systems that as they exist today. Um, it did seem. Yeah, it did. It it, it seemed to kind of. Um, I mean, if if we were being very um, well, which I'm sure you are <laughs> going to, um, yeah, if we were being very kind of charitable and wanted to go kind of attach some thematic weight to it, we could say about like the 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 the, the per- pervasive uh, corruption and how kind of like it's connecting all of these different different people, people. Mm-hmm. and nobody is able to get just a little bit wet, like yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, yeah, this is the thing where, I mean, we were sort of discussing earlier about whether the film is timeless or whether it's of its time and stuff like that. I think thematically, and again, this is Darren <laughs> doing some heavy lifting because... Oh, yeah. Is, oh, yeah, that's what we're here for. The summer of 1999, so I have to find a way to make it relevant to 99 in a way. By the but, way, what has this got to do with 1999? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was released in, in uh, American uh, cinemas in 5th of March, 1999. Right, right. Yeah, so um, we're doing a season of 1999 movies. This is included. <laughs> That's because it was released in, in America. American cinemas in at number thirty-seven. At number thirty-seven, <laughs> earning only three million dollars, um, which is what the the catering budget for Chris Hemsworth on an Avengers movie, probably. Well, yeah, the one where he gets very fat. Because <laughs> that wasn't a prosthetic at all. The proper proper method is our Chris. Um, but yeah, the if I were to tie this back to late nineties, it it's what Dave was talking about there—the complete lack of central authority. What Andrew was saying there about like the idea of it being a zero-sum game and the idea of everything being sort of interconnected. It's that sort of sense of, but also the sense in which, and again, this is maybe something it inherits. And again, Andrew's right, we're being very charitable here. If we weren't being charitable, what we might say is that, like, perhaps Guy Ritchie ported it over without even thinking about it from Tarantino, where Tarantino has this recurring motif of the idea of the world not making any sense, but lives intersecting in ways that are completely unpredictable and completely unforeseeable. Because yeah, you have this like, like Pulp Fiction, where everything yeah. just kind of comes together at the end. Yeah, and nobody but the audience, and even the audience gets like a scattered picture of it, but nobody within the film itself understands what's actually happening because all the different causes and effects are hidden from them. We I mean, he doesn't even try to. I, I mean, with Tarantino, there's there there's a suitcase where there's a kind of like a mystery about yeah. it. I don't feel like. Uh, Richie is putting things into the movie to make you kind of think, think yeah. about them. Yeah, so it's like go along with the ride, which isn't a criticism. No, I not don't. at all. Uh, but I mean, th- there's the whole thing where, like, through sheer coincidence, through sheer happenstance, not only do they happen to be living next to these guys yeah. who are robbing the weed dealers, and they happen to then rob the guys who are robbing the weed dealers, and then try and sell it back to the guy who's doing business with the weed dealers, and so it all ends up interconnected. Vinnie Jones turns up at the house at just to, the moment, yeah, to collect the money at just the moment, yeah, yeah, at just the right time, and how with the same shotguns, yeah. yeah. I mean, like, there's the the moment where like they're talking and they ask Eddie like, "What's going on?" and Eddie's response is, "I don't know." But what I do know is that there's no more Harry. That means there's no more debt. If there's no more debt, there's no more problem. There's no problem with the neighbours because they're all dead. And if I get this right, we haven't done anything wrong and we're in the clear. Yeah, but this idea of them existing in a system that makes absolutely no sense to them because of 
all these different threads and balls that are in motion. And this idea that like the world is, as you point out, chaotic and random and abstract. And everything that happens to us is a result of other factors that exist beyond our control. One of the scenes that was cut from the film explained why, um, why Hatchet Harry was so obsessed with getting control of the bar, which is a major plot point here where he tries to, he gives the son, he gives Eddie a five, a half a million dollar, a half a million pound line of credit, basically. And the reason that he does that is because he wants control of the bar. It's implied in the film, the cut of the film, that what he really wants is JD's yeah. bar. And when Chris comes in and says, he wants your bar. He wants your bar. Like, yeah. Yeah, he likes your bar. He likes your bar. Yeah. Do I have to draw you a pretty picture? Um, but yeah, so you have this idea of like, even Eddie. How are we doing, by the way? <laughs> yeah, sorry about the accent. Um, but like, even Eddie isn't like responsible or isn't like, doesn't understand what he's gotten himself into. He has no awareness of like what's motivating Harry because apparently like Harry wants the bar and he's just giving Eddie the credit so that he can cheat him and claim the bar legally. And I mean, there's a cut scene from the film where it's revealed that, you know, the reason that he wants the bar is because he feels that JD cheated him when they were both younger together. And so you have this kind of idea of things that exist outside the character's awareness of them and understanding of how the world works. But because everything is so networked and because everything is so connected these days, I mean, even like the mobile phone allows you to ring instantly, you have this idea of characters being drawn together in ways they don't understand. Famously, the two Northern Monkeys, um, kind of like when they decide that they want to... Part of the global economy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, criticism of capitalism. But like they've been directed to get back the shotguns no matter what so they can be returned to Harry. They notice Big Chris bringing the shotguns into Harry's shop. They don't know that it's Harry's shop. They don't know that Harry is Harry. They go in and they try to take the shotguns back, brutally murdering the man who turns out to be their employer, turning around only realizing after the fact what they've done. They have absolutely no understanding of the world in which they're operating. And as a result, kind of chaos ensues. And I think that's a very... It, it kind of fits a lot with the, the media that you would have seen around 1999, where the world was big, complicated, and didn't really make sense. I Things love like, that line from Tom. It's like, oh no, not again. Because the audience like sees all the other intersection points. Like, I mean, I don't think they even like, I don't think the guys ever interact with the weed dealers. Or the guys who are growing weed, the, the like the Oxford educated kind of guys. No, 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 they've got no understanding of like what's going on with them. So like when they come back to the apartment and find all the dead bodies, it's like I have no idea why or how this happened in the way that it did. And as you point out, yeah, Tom going there and saying, Not again. <laughs> but like Harry, you know, going look, um, they don't know his employee, but Harry ends up getting killed by yeah. his own employees. He's never met them either. Yeah. And then, then he's sort of as <laughs> As power, he's supposed to be the big schemer, but yeah. he's not. He hasn't in control of anything, yeah. no. and he's just swept along in this sort of, I don't know, on a, you know, one of those sort of big fancy clocks or something. Yeah. And these little characters going around. He's totally powerless. Yeah. When a guy comes like. through his door with a, a two guns in his hands, he doesn't think, "Oh, what what, what are you doing here?" Yeah. Um, he it's it's just a guy with a, with a couple of guns. Yeah, that he doesn't have any. He 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 has less context than we have. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, even things like Eddie um, and Tom and uh, through Nick the Greek stealing the marijuana from Plank, who has stolen it from these guys. And they're trying to sell it back 
to it's a breaker. Oh, see, um, we should Rory Breaker. He's, <laughs> Rory Breaker, he's, I love he's, Rory he's Breaker. incredible. The most valued player, valuable player. And yeah. again, this is the thing where even the film even does that with the audience, where like when they go to the Samoan pub for the first time, yeah, you see the guy on fire screaming coming out of the door, and it's it's a gag that looks ridiculous in the context of the film. You're just like, well, this is just a, like it's like a Mel Brooks bit. It's to show how crazy and lawless this pub is. And then later on, you get a story about why you don't mess with Rory Breaker, which involves explaining why that guy was lit on fire and running screaming out of the pub, which retroactively even makes the bit where he's like, can we change the channel there? No. <laughs> like, even funnier than it is. Imagine, the like, the, the, the guy whose head, uh, head has uh, caught fire, he was there with, like, his two mates. What did his two mates do after that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, uh, he does this all the time. He's always, like, re- um, yeah, d- don't go after him. He'll be fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's the only way he'll learn. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, like, there's even the bit where, yeah, it's like when they're going to, when the, the two northern monkeys are going to go rob the guns, they're like, we don't even know who lives there. And it's like, oh, the bit where, <laughs> when they see it's a like Gary, when they, like, they turn around, he's like, what the f***? Mind your language in front of the boy. What are you doing here? After <laughs> they shoot Gary. <laughs> Gary's response is, what the f***? That includes blasphemy as well. What are you doing here? <laughs> uh, which, again, is like the sense that nobody knows anything. Oh um, no! Yeah, it's uh, Barry the Baptist. Barry the Baptist. Yeah, apologies. yeah. It's um, I think it's it's it's, it's Gary who gets shot. Gary who, sh- who gets the hatchet uh, in the back. Yeah, ironically yeah. enough, and again, I love the irony of of the Baptist being the one who uses the hatchet, not Harry. Um, the only person who uses a hatchet in this film is 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 Barry. Yeah, I don't know how. Uh pleased anyone from Liverpool might be at that representation of, <laughs> of Liverpudlians they are uh, and that Darren keeps repeating <laughs> I started it Gary and Dean and that's very 90s stereotype. as well yeah. it seems to be very coming like straight out of uh, Harry Park Life's video yeah um, no, the, with with the, with the with the all right, all right, calm down, eh? <laughs> yeah. um, even at a point where, yeah, that that was getting referenced in other kind of like UK culture, like this, and like I I think um, in Dream Team, there's like a a character from uh, Liverpool and has that very same thing where somebody is making fun of them, saying, "All right, all right, calm down, eh?" Um, yeah. But it, 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 where, where, yeah, where it, 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 it's, it's, um, have, have, have Liverpool people ever recovered <laughs> <laughs> from late, 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 late 90s characterization? Um, also worth noting in terms of stuff that dates this as a 90s production, you know, you said this would be a walk in the park. It sounds like another day in Bosnia. Or this is London, not the Lebanon. Uh, which I quite appreciated. Yeah, because the Lebanon's fine now. <laughs> oh, fair, fair point. <laughs> but in terms of things that dated as well, I thought that was quite interesting. Um, in terms of characters, I actually, this time around, I found myself liking Soap a lot, actually. Uh, yeah. Dexter Fletcher's character. Right. In particular, the way that he, he's initially introduced as the guy who keeps his hand clean, hence the nickname Soap. But I quite like that once the gang sort of commits to, like, felony and crime, he's very much all in. It's the bit with the... Uh, where he shows up with the knives and the giant machete, and he's like, uh, "Was like guns for show, knives for a pro." I kind of, I admire. Dexter the Fletcher should have to do like a public service announcement <laughs> or a, 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 around like a kind of a knife amnesty in London. It's like I know I said guns are for show and knives are for pro, but it was a movie, <laughs> and I want to take everything like that back because it's a big problem in in, in knife in, crime. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, I mean, it, again, this is the thing where there was a minor sort of moral panic around the release of the film as well. Um, the John Abbott, who was the head of the National Criminal Investigative Service, complained about the wave of crime films, and he specified Lock Stock as a prime example of this, saying that it was setting a bad example for young impressionable minds watching it as well. Um, worth noting as well that Richie has gotten into trouble with this before. So in 2004, his Corvette advertisement was actually pulled from television stations because it was deemed to encourage dangerous driving as well. Kind of interesting in terms of like, and again, it's worth noting that Britain, like, I mean, knife crime is bad in Britain at the moment. Asbos had just been introduced at the time as well. So there's this real anxiety about youth of today, so to speak, and that sort of thing. Yeah, I like watching things like this. Um, I'd went to uk in 2006 and 2010 expecting like to be you know really hard and gritty and it just wasn't <laughs> it was it was a great disappointment one thing that sort of links out with the culture i mean one f- you would hear from some sort of older people you know in the east end was you know talking about the craze and those sort of characters yeah. Yeah. and an amazing amount of nostalgia for it you mm. know obviously very violent people but yeah. this idea of having these you know they Sheriffs weren't like the the young yeah like that who held the order it's not like these or young people who are much more dangerous. Then we had like decent criminals and stuff who kept this order. And you see that in that sort of fantasy world, yeah. they're sort of making of like, yeah, sort of knowable, reliable, violent psychos. Yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah, even, even Vinnie Jones's character, Big Chris, he's legitimately concerned about raising his son, right? Don't use language like that in front of the, the boy. That goes double for blasphemy. Um, he was apparently modeled on Dave Courtney. Um, who's talked as well. Courtney apparently um, inspired the sequence with the sunbed. That was apparently his own anecdote as well. And also the scene in which uh, Big uh, yeah, Big Chris is walking down the street carrying two shotguns behind his back as well, which is also the poster image. Um, Dave Courtney claims to have inspired that, inspired that as well. But here's the thing. He says, he does actually, when he's talked about the film, he gave an interview around the same time. He said, I think the film is part of a nostalgia for the old time villains like me. There's a morality and a code of honour about us which you don't get nowadays. That's why I modelled my home on Camelot and myself on King Arthur because they were honourable then. It was the only time fighting was fair. You both got given a sword. You both got a horse at each end of the field and you charged each other and you had a fight. I've got a mural of myself as Arthur outside my house and a sword and a stone in the back garden. And a round table dining room table, which goes over the pool table. Twelve of us sit around it, and we all have our own swords. <laughs> I quite admire the turn that conversation took. <laughs> I, I think that the... <laughs> can, can you imagine uh, Big Chris offering that sort of, like, summary? <laughs> there, was a, there was a lads mag at the time that's now defunct, but he... Dave Courtney was one of the main contributors to that, and they were running some campaign to to have um, the craze released. They were saying, you know, that it was their punishment was too harsh for the crimes that they'd committed. So, yeah, Dave Courtney became a bit of a celebrity, and I think yeah. he he had his own TV show as well on one of the Sky channels of you know the interesting crimes that he'd he'd kind of done some of his escapades and. They recreated some of them, this kind of thing. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. The other one was um, Ronnie Biggs, and of course, you know, the great oh, train, the train robbery, robbery. Yeah. and he'd sort of gotten away with it. And there was always he was sort of a great affection for this guy who committed a crime <laughs> and got away with it. And I think that's maybe a lot of this sort of fantasy worlds of you know of only fools and horses and such. Yeah, you know, a lot of people have this admiration for people who were 
who are getting away with it, who yeah. can sort of beat the system because we all, you know, feel, oh, I'm just yeah. getting totally screwed by this, right. by this, by this world yeah. of other bigger comment and these kind ones who get away with it. So, yeah. Yeah. Quality who gives, well, robs from the rich and gives to himself. Kind <laughs> of. <laughs> I, I am the yeah. poor. <laughs> well, I, I think Phil Collins did a film called Buster based on Ronnie Biggs' kind of, uh, you know, train robbery kind of thing that he did, I think. And um, Phil Collins? Yeah, Phil Collins did the film called Buster, and he played one of the the great train robbers. Well, I mean, there was also the great train robbery starring Sean Connery as well, wasn't there? If I remember correctly, so like, I mean, it, it's been glamorous many times, but I'm actually this Phil Collins one. I'm very interested. Yeah, in. it's called Buster. <laughs> and look, it's called Buster, and it was uh, Judy. Uh, was jukebox it? music? No, who else? Oh, was that it? would be amazing. Uh, so it was Buster. Oh, uh, so it was um, Phil Collins and um, uh, it is it's leading a... actress uh, who. Who's in Educating Rita? And, oh, uh, and yes. Julie, Wal- Walters. Julie Walters. Julie Walters, yes. yes. Yeah. Uh, Anthony and they Quayle, were saying, oh, it was all lovable like... criminal, right? But then the guy, he's the, the train kind of driver, was one of the guys who ended up dead. Um, or he had a concussion or something. Yeah, he, he became, when they were robbing the train, they injured somebody who, and their, his family weren't so impressed that it was a glamorized version of, these train robbers. You know? I mean, like the the tagline for Buster, which I have here, is "He'll steal your heart." Um, yeah, the is, fe- is he like kind of? Oh, there's no way I'm uh, I'm going back to to. Oh my gosh! We like big posters in the show. Rob trains. Yeah, I'm yeah. retired. And he All had right. flowers. I remember at the time there was a bit of a controversy. About yeah. That. One I mean, more time. <laughs> like that's that's uh, let, like the summary here. Or the official summary of the film is the story it's of Great Train. Collins in other movies. Uh, well, he was no, in just this one. <laughs> just this one. <laughs> this was enough. One is enough. Well, he did Miami Vice. He yeah. Played, uh, he played a sort of Phil the Shill in Miami yeah. Vice. That's uh, what he because they played a lot of it. They used a lot of his music in Miami Vice. Yeah. And okay. he went on to, like you said, he did a, a kind of a... But here, oh. here's the plot summary, just to get a sense of what Buster might be like. 5.8 rating on IMDb, so it's pretty bad. Um, but not the... bad enough that we have to talk <laughs> no, about No, not at all, outside of this context. The story of great train robber Buster Edwards, a small-timer who fell in with more ambitious thieves. After the gang robs the London to Glasgow Royal Mail train in 1963, he takes his family into hiding in Mexico, but soon discovers that money is no substitute for life back home. Featured song, Two Hearts by Phil Collins. Okie dokie. So yeah, I think there is something there in this romanticizing of kind of like gangland figures and particularly British criminal figures. And it's interesting to sort of con- contrast that, I think, with, say, the American... I suppose the American has that sort of fantasy as well. American has that fantasy of gangsters and stuff like that. But it's well, kind of markedly different, I think, perhaps because of the Hayes Code. Well, I, I think with the... Yeah. I think because the craze, when you think about it, um, they say there's no way that two London gangsters would be able to... You know, some guys who ran a pool who basically controlled the pool hall would go go on to kind of control the whole of London. That wouldn't happen now because obviously... Well, I control London. <laughs> you do. Uh, yeah. That's why we're all scared yeah. here. <laughs> uh, just to let you know that, that I, I'm actually catching a taxi <laughs> home straight after this. Yeah. So Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels is actually a documentary. Yeah. Documentary, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. You're a little Chris. Yeah, I, I reveal that is an exclusive <laughs> reveal the on the 250. <laughs> 
I'm English, but I'm going home as soon as possible <laughs> after this podcast finishes. We'll have an hour-long interview with little Chris. Chris. <laughs> How accurate was it? How many men did your father kill by banging their head in a car door? Yeah, because because that's the thing. Like, I, 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 like as graphic as that was, I, I was kind of. Um, I was happy <laughs> about, about about Big Chris um, uh, 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 brutally murdering Jug because he 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 put a knife on his jug. Little Chris, <laughs> no, it, no it did seem one. very justified that, that that like if Big Chris was because it never it, he 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 always well, uh, seemed is... capable of 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 great violence, but I don't think had ever quite taken the same. Um, uh, uh, pleasure in it, or yes. pleasure in it, and you could kind of um, appreciate yeah. maybe where that was coming from. Because it is, because Big Chris is like again, and muddled on, on the gangster we talk about there, um, Dave Courtney. He is he's portrayed as somebody who is fair and reasonable to a certain extent. I mean, even at the end, and it's notable that like the film took eight months to shoot because again, it was shot on a low budget and because of like production difficulties. It's notable that in the final scenes, uh, Jason Fleming is wearing a beanie over his head. And the reason that is is because the actor had actually grown his hair out for other roles since then. So, I mean, you know, Justice League probably could have taken some notes when it came to, you know, Henry Cavill's <laughs> mustache. Um, they didn't CGI Jason Fleming's hair. But that's the reason why at the end of the film he's wearing like a, a beanie over the top of his head because he'd actually grown his hair out. But even that sequence at the end kind of shows Big Chris to be generally fair as a person. Like even when he, when he takes the money from their apartment as well, he doesn't steal it. He takes it direct to Harry and he makes you know Harry wipes oh, yeah. off their debt as a Chris result. wants is a fair wage and a sports car. A sports car, really. Nice. <laughs> All I want is my solid gold house and my rocket car. <laughs> I'm not a greedy man. <laughs> um, but and I love the idea. Vinnie Jones is so large when he sits in the sports car. It's yeah, kind of almost yeah. hilarious. It's like one of those sort of those clown cars to a certain extent. But it's interesting as an anti-hero. He was one of the guys who went on to become a, a star. Albeit for, a, sure, uh, <laughs> albeit for a short, albeit for a Welshman. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, what, what was that actually? They, presumably his like mother or granny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's just that he was never going to make the England squad. Oh, so, oh uh, wow. England squad's last, obviously. Yeah. 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 So you know, at that time, we just played for whoever you could do. I love, I love that Babu's like, I'm terrified of little Chris, but big Chris come right at me. <laughs> well, I, you, you unqualified, <laughs> undercapable scumbag. <laughs> well, again, like he, for a brief period of time, he, he was a bit of a force to be reckoned with. And the idea, I remember seeing an interview with him and he said, oh, I'd, I'd like to have the same kind of career as, um, as Tom Cruise. I want to be making $20 million a, a movie. Ironically, it was actually Jason Statham who went on to become a huge star. You know, in terms of slowly building from the transporter series to, you know, now being in a big blockbuster. And Vinnie Jones is nowhere to be seen, really. I don't know, whether maybe he's in uh, TV or... He, he is in TV and stuff he's like that. Like, yeah, he's, he's made a, he's, he's made a living a, as, a, yeah. as an actor. Um, I think... Statham is... Without, without wanting to offend uh, Vinnie Jones, I think we, given the... Because David might know him. Yeah. We don't want given to the... the the range at which he operates as an actor, I think his success is highly commendable. Yeah, he's still yeah. making a living. That's a good yeah. thing to, you know, yeah. not everybody does. You know, yeah. so, uh, he understands his screen persona very well, I think. I, yeah. I think you're happy to see him yeah, when he pops speaking. up in movies. Yeah, because yeah. he's, you know, <laughs> that's Lee Marvin. He's going to be drunk and violent. <laughs> that's Vinnie like, <laughs> Jones. He's going to be stoic and violent. Uh, yeah. As you point out, you're never going to see Dangerous Minds starring Vinnie Jones as a teacher who just wants to reach those students. I know. 
do you know what he's been doing recently at all or any TV? Well, he's been popped up in, say, Elementary, for example, the TV show and stuff like that. He's ah. done guest spots here and there and all that sort of stuff, you know? Right, okay. Um, I think he's done a bit of direct-to-video stuff as well, and he's done, like, those those British films that I was talking about there, the sort of spin-offs, the kind of, like, the the Green Street 5, Greener Street, ah. um, those sorts of movies he's doing, you know? Um, I'm waiting for Green Book 5, uh, starring Vinnie Jones. That will be an interesting experience. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's that's how a lot of them just continue working. You know, yeah. they just do these direct-to-video, short, you know, small-budget films. And yeah, you know, what's interesting uh, about this though is I think that you mentioned Statham, and I re- and again, this is the thing where we had this conversation where I think three of myself, Dave, and um, Babu were saying we tried to remember this film and we didn't remember a lot of it, and we may have confused a bit of it with Snatch. Yeah. And I wonder if like part of that is that Statham. While he's role. here, yeah, he doesn't necessarily get a lot to do here. Well, he, he do, I mean, it's it, it's a um, it's it's not a vehicle for one individual. It is an ensemble, yeah, uh, because it's four geezers. Um, so and David, um, <laughs> four, four leading actors, I, um, and I it's kind of like so. But I think in in Snatch, he's very much the same kind of character, but. He's the central role. Uh, a very romantic as well in in Snatch. Like they 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 kind of they are memorable. Yeah. Like because yeah, he's yeah. given more. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like bigger um, um stuff like um what is it? Uh, before the Germans come. Yeah. And um, it's it's kind of interesting that like of the three of the four here he's probably the least defined because Eddie is your default protagonist with Sting as his father. Very unlikable protagonist, by the way. Eddie. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he yeah. always seems like um like uh, 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 an asshole, but not in a kind of a charming way. <laughs> like he he he's cost he's taken <laughs> twenty five grand. Yeah, from he's all done, his yeah he's taken twenty five grand. It says, "Don't worry, you get a bit of return in this." You know what? Bad news is you've lost your money. Worst news, you now owe money. I'm sure that you each <laughs> that you owe didn't one, give me. 125 grand each. Um, and again, I love the bit where the voiceover is like, yeah, if, he, if he'd said that uh, he would have taken the debt on himself, he was lying. Cut to him saying, I wish I could take the debt on it myself. I mean, well, it's worth knowing. And, but it, but it, it's not like at that point, he doesn't stop. Kind of uh, um, uh, uh, involving uh, them in his plans. No, but like, like, like even like calling his 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 friends. I, I, I don't I don't know. But what the ex- exact lines are. But basically pointing out at every um, occasion how much Rodney Plunker they all are. Um, <laughs> yeah, they, where it's like, hold on, wait a second. <laughs> Whose fault is this? Yeah, yeah, all of this is your fault. And also, like, yeah, I love that when this happens, and he... you're not helping us get out of <laughs> this particularly. He, he, he spends two days drunk yeah. out of seven. <laughs> yeah. I'll give you a week. Two days is in yeah. the bottle, and his yeah. friends are thinking, "Now, how do we do this now?" And yeah, because you got like Tom working on a pitch. It's not a bad pitch. It just needs a bit of finessing. Where it's like, you know, look, I mean, in, in four weeks we'll have return for you. You know, it's like that's a good pitch, Tom. Appreciate it. You're contributing. That's good. Soap. You've got knives. That's good initiative there. And it's like, yeah, Eddie. Eddie is like drunk for two days. And just happens to eavesdrop on a bunch of criminals next door. And it's like, yep, hold on, lads, I've got an idea. Eddie's Eddie's just resigned himself now to counting the fingers that you haven't got. (laughs) Um, It is worth noting, actually, that the film itself, originally, that's a short film made by Richie. uh, It was called The Hard Case. 
And it was the gambling sequence in the film. Which is interesting because the gambling sequence is one of the first points where you really see Richie show off as yeah. a director. Because it has those really great shots where it's like it cranks. So it slows down and it accelerates and it kind of yeah. freeze frames and it catches these images. And it looks really cool. I don't, yeah. I don't gamble, but I want to. Drinking sequence as well. It yeah. reminds me make of... make you want to drink. Uh... As somebody who neither gambles nor drinks. No, the gambling... engages in violence. I know. Um, <laughs> the violence sequence kind of got me. I'm looking forward to the bowling alley tonight. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a... Hyper competitive. Four legs and <laughs> All geared up yeah. after watching uh, Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels. But I think it reminded me of a, there was a film with Steve McQueen, was it? You know, where he played a gambler? Um... In the 60s or 70s? Was it called The Gal? Paul Newman? Yeah. Oh, Paul Newman. Uh, Maybe in, Paul Newman. The, 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 the Hustler in The Color, in the color of Money. Yeah. No, no, there was a film uh, where he played a car chalk, but I can't remember whether it was it was with Steve McQueen in it. I'm not sure, but it it had that kind of element of... Um, was Cool Hand Luke? Was the it? Cincinnati Kid, possibly? That's it. Ah. Uh, yeah, that had a lot of... That. It reminded me a bit of that, of, you know, like... The camera whirling around the table as yeah. they're playing. So it's worth noting that Rounders would have been around the same time as well, actually, starring Matt Damon that and <laughs> Edward Norton as yeah. well. I, mean, I think with the whole film as well, big influence of music videos. Yes. That was the time yeah. when music videos you know, were really, you know, yeah. sort of random, Slow you know, a lot of the most famous... Spike Jones and Michelle yeah. Gondry. Yeah, and they were like, yeah. became a real sort of um, big deal. You watched out for them with some real yeah. impressive technical... Kind of sort of stuff going on and I think it does feel like a music video a lot of the whole sort of um, film in some ways so is there anything else anyone else wants to talk about with Lockstock and Two Spunk Browse anything that we haven't discussed already um, yeah so the uh, now we're in the spoiler zone the um, did you notice that uh, some of the film music was recycled from like uh, was it Fistful Sergio, of Dollars yeah, or yeah the Sergio Leone movies I mean, the, the whole thing is like, very, again, this is the Tarantino influence, the whole thing is very Western. Like, the sequence where they raid the weed house. Uh, or this, No, not even that, the sequence where they raid the guy's apartment, which is next to where the gangsters are, where you have the shotgun and you have uh, Rory Breaker arriving and you have the guys with guns and there's this silence and this pause. What a showdown. The, yeah, that's it exactly. Which, by the way, they don't show. And yeah. it's no... It's no loss. foreign. Yeah. Like, they, 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 it feels like you've seen the... Maybe they didn't have the budget. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, well, I suspect no, they didn't have a budget, but I mean, it's a, it works well creatively. Like it's done well enough yeah. that it doesn't distract. My memory of it is that there is this uh, huge, <laughs> like, kind of brutal showdown because you see them kind of, yeah, you know, getting loading the all the guns and kind of getting into the van and like uh, the door opening, and you just uh, you, you the fill, low you fill in everything Rory. else. Yeah. yeah, and again, like again, that's that's a testament to the film is that you do a low angle shot of Rory Breaker and he still looks tiny. That's a wonderfully like that's a wonderful example of Richie's craft because he frames him by these even larger guys. Uh, yeah, which is fantastic. And there, there's there, there's one of his 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 heavies yeah. that you you can't even see <laughs> yeah. In, yeah. In, in the screen, yeah. which is which which is fantastic. What was his name? Terry or Lenny? Lenny. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Than you, Lenny. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I absolutely love the sequence. I love the recurring joke of like, uh, is it Nick the Greek putting down stuff on the on the table, breaking the table, and then sort of trying to put the the glass hasn't been replaced and breaking it, and then the sequence the third time he goes, one of the goons is bringing him a glass of orange juice in the background of the shot. And like Rory's going through one of his rants, so you can see the goon turn around and leave in the background of the shot, <laughs> which is just really great as well. I love all that little stuff as well. And did you recognise that his hair was very similar to the guy in Pulp Fiction, Samuel L. Jackson? Yeah. 
Well, I mean, the film wears... He's got the, the kind of the curly hair. The film, or the sort of afro. I mean, the film wears its sort of influences on its sleeve. Like, when they go to rob the... Um, and again, I love the toffs. You have these toffs kind of playing at being, like, street gangsters who are, like, growing, you know, mar- growing marijuana it's and trying Because it's, like, as gritty as you've ever seen toffs. And, and <laughs> like... Um, and they're also, like, more out of it than any kind of um, uh, drug dealers anyone would have ever encountered. It's yes. like they're on heroin or something like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, they're just sort of strung out. Yeah, yeah. Right. But one and of them is Stephen McIntosh. Stephen McIntosh is great. Yeah. He's normally... Winston. Max Beasley was... was, um, was that wasn't one of them, was it? No, no. no. I don't He wasn't that. Max Beasley. Was Stephen McIntosh... He just looked a bit like him. Right. Normally plays less than toughs, usually. Does he not? Well, more, more, than, more than tough. <laughs> yeah, he's a, yeah, tough guy. Tough but, face. Yeah. But, I mean, actually, <laughs> it's, it's, it's worth noting that uh, Guy Ritchie's very, next film will be called Tough Guys, starring uh, Matthew McConaughey. Oh. Yeah. Very, and Colin very, very controversial for non-toughs to take um, <laughs> tough parts away from, from, from tough actors. Yeah. Um, we have tough men working on it. Tough men. But again, like, even, <laughs> even the... <laughs> Sorry, Dave just showed her. Uh, <laughs> but even even things like so that like that sequence, but you have that sort of like um I was gonna say the kind of juxtaposition of like them being sort of like, you know, sort of like very out of their element while interacting with all of these gangsters, which I kind of which is funny in hindsight because it reminds me a lot of that discussion we had about like Vaughn and about sort of Richie themselves, who are very much like landed gentry. Uh, sort of wading into this world. And it's kind of interesting that the characters that they're probably closest to are the guys with the BB guns. And uh, they all and, live. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> fair point as well. As well, they let um, those people live. But even, even things like, but like we were talking about the Pulp Fiction reference and the, the hair that you mentioned, he reminded you of Jules. Yeah. But even things like when Plank shows up, it's like, if any one of you slags moves, I'll execute every last one of you. Which again is a famous line from Pulp Fiction. Yeah. It's a sequence when Tim Roth and uh, is it uh, what's the name of the actor? Um, but they're holding up the uh, they're holding up the cafe at the start of the film. Juliet it's not Juliet Lewis, um, but yeah. Babu's going to open his chocolate now. Babu's going to yes uh, have some chocolate, chocolate just for some ASMR um, for listeners. Oh, to that's actually yeah. the, one of the interesting things is in the film there was no cafe. Normally, there's always a sequence in an East End cafe, you know, with like a calf. Where they're having a big. It's of Amanda Plummer, by the way, was breakfast. Uh, kind of. No jelly deal. There was no jelly deal. No uh, jelly deal. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I, no I, breakfast. I, I feel like I had jelly deal actually. I tried it. What um, is it? I'm, keep mind, I'm the only it's person who has it. Jelly deal. Yeah, it's a bunch of sort of white, sort of clear jelly with these eels inside it. And gravy, but it, it is, sorry, or what's it called? You're thinking of pie and mash with the liquor, the green With stuff. liquor, yeah, yeah that's, that's not, quite, that's not British liquor. British food is very yeah. strange. I don't think I'll ever understand British food. Well, jelly deals, that's just jelly deals, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I, I know, you say this, like, you keep saying those words, like if you keep saying them together, they'll make sense. Um, but yeah, what is it like? What is it taste? Is it good? Is it tasty? Is it, no, you're, you're not going to eat an eel. Fair let alone much. a jelly deal <laughs> like, and anything that's not like a, a, a specific like seven or eight things so well, if I oh. told you that it was great would you try it no <laughs> no, no but I mean 
I would have to travel to London to have a jelly deal, to be fair. Yeah. We'd have to take I've the show. I've got some in my bag. It's coming to bar? Yeah. <laughs> I remember having a big bowl. Okay, yeah. Big, was, yeah. But it is, it's like jelly, like the dessert, but with eel in it. It's not, not it's like sweet. It's not sweet jelly. Oh, okay. No. It's more like the kind of jelly that you might find at the top of a, um, a like some meat that you've left in your fridge. Do you know like, oh, a, okay. do you know like a pork pie and you get some sort of like uh, layers of yeah. jelly? Oh, it's okay. basically eel encased in that oh, sort okay. of stuff. This isn't oh, telling Oh God, I can see you. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. People can't see you. You're licking your lips at the moment. And... I'm just sort of scintillating it. It's like, yeah. So, we, 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 it, um, Tottenham is one of our most popular territories. It'll yes. be part of the. Territories. It'll be popular. It'll be part of the 50 city uh, world tour. The, not the 250 city world tour. Oh, yeah, no, actually, because it's the 250. But yeah. you see, the problem is that we, 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 we need to go on a world tour where we'll exhaust the movies that we can actually um, cover. Talk yeah, about. yeah. Um, but anyway, so is there anything else that we haven't discussed? Anything we want to talk about with regards to Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels? I'm sorry for any glazed over the fact Sting turns up in this as the least convinced. He's really trying to be this geezer. And he does it by just not moving as... Just like just doing as little as possible. I love the way that he's shot as well. It's like he moves into shots so you have these... Sting appears in two kinds of shots in Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels. One of them is the head-on, oh my god, we've got Sting shot. The other shot is like the camera and Sting is just at the edge of frame, like a cardboard cutout of Sting, because oh my god, we got Sting. Um, which is like, so when he's conversing with his son, like they have the reaction shots. So his, his shots are really close up, because like we have Sting, we're putting him in shot. But you can tell that like when they're like, okay, it's time to shoot like Nick Moran, Jason Statham, Dexter Fletcher. It's like, yeah. But what if Sting was also in those shots too? It's really disconcerting. Well, let's not forget, he was actually in Quadrophenia. Yes, with uh, P.H. Moriarty, who plays the yeah. role of Harry here. And in well. Dune. Yes. Yeah. He likes being a hard man in, <laughs> in, 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 in his movies. And he's not really somebody who... Um, Comes across. But I, I suppose he had like kind of... Um, Richard Attenborough playing playing like a hard man in in Brighton, uh, Rock, Brighton Rock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so maybe it's like a tradition where it's like uh, where 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 the director is. No, I'm thinking more a a, a sting. Um, <laughs> yeah. kind of, uh, what about Phil Collins? <laughs> he wasn't available. He was no. doing, he's doing Buster Three's director video. Um, was it? It's the. Um... The thing that really sort of grabbed me there, yeah, the the Sting thing is because obviously he and his wife sort of financed the the movie. Yeah, so, yeah, so they're like, gonna want to be in it. And yeah, it did feel like yeah that that contractual he, he, obligation. He was in the movie for some other reason <laughs> than because he needed like, to be in the choice. Movie. Yeah, because <laughs> it is because it's it's he's. I want my money back. <laughs> he's I'll be in it. He's obviously Eddie's Eddie's father in the film, but again, a lot of his scenes, you can tell that it's like, well, we have Sting for a day. That's all he's around for. Yeah, there's one where he pulls up in a car to have a conversation and then leaves because apparently that's no there's no other way that a son will interact with his father in the context of this. I think he should take some notes from Big Chris. I think JD could take yeah. some notes from Big Chris in terms. Oh of yeah, he doesn't get and 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 he's very much like, um, what are you doing? Get out of the car. You nearly like, cost me my pub. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, "Oh, do you think I'm driving you home? I'm not. No, you, you use the legs that you have the use of 
and put them to good use. Um, was it Alan's got to sit there? Yeah, the yeah. When he's like, don't make yourself too comfortable. Which, by the way, um, this what is, is the relationship between Alan? Yeah, between <laughs> Alan and JD. Because I think Alan is there. He's played by an actor called Alan Ford. Yeah. And part- who- who um, he I pops think up turns in up in Snatch And he has well, a much yeah. bigger role in Snatch. And in a lot of stuff, actually, yeah. yeah. And part of me wonders if like, he wasn't there just to make up for the fact that there's no way you're getting Sting to appear outside a house where they were shooting this. So well, it's, like, it's, to, it's to, set up, um, to set up Sting's bona, bona fides. Yeah, Alan, Alan works for her and is afraid of Sting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sting, who apparently in his spare time tends the bar that he owns. I'm like... I mean, like, there, there is this kind of limit to how hard you can make. And it's also, like, the way he's introduced, where it's like, they're talking about, so, uh, you know, we're going to the card game, we're going to make lots of money. And, like, JD shows up, he's like, what's this about a card game? And it's like, oh, Dad, you're always ruining our balls. <laughs> uh, as opposed to, oh, Dad, you're terrifying and will, like, break me. Um, but, yeah, it, it's, it's very, very strange. There's a lot of stuff in here that feels kind of improvised. Um, like that thing, like, Alan's got to sit there. And it feels like... They never gave Alan Ford's character a name. And Sting was just like, uh, Alan, let's go with Alan. Alan sounds good. But I, did, he- I, did, I did enjoy that when it like, knock him out. Would you? And it's like, don't touch him up. <laughs> and it's kind of this thing where it's like, you've seen earlier in the movies. Yeah. And you've seen earlier in, in this, this movie. movie yeah. How in a movie, knocking somebody out. It's just is, a punch on it, the head. Yeah. Is, is this really kind of straightforward thing? But then they're, they're all kind of trying to knock him out at the same time. Yeah. Well, it's I mean, more that, like approaching reality. Yeah. It's like the, the, because of course these people don't know how to knock somebody out. Yeah. But I mean, even then that the joke on that is like, I hate traffic wardens or I hate traffic. So sort of like, yeah. Um, so they're like, the joke is like, Hey, imagine if you could beat up a traffic warden. Yeah. It's, it's like that bit in it's like Reservoir Dogs where it's like, yeah, I shot some cops, but no real people. Um, it's, it's, it's like that but with like British Metropolitan Police so it's like uh, yeah we probably get away with traffic wardens they feel like they're an assailable target um, uh, I, go, going 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 back what, to, um, to 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 what you were saying about it, it's um, he's uh, he's short Rory Breaker yes yeah. Rory Breaker the the um, is what is it is is this is this some white? Mind your language in front of the boy. Joke, they're black. That includes blasphemy as well. Certain cat or something, yeah. Uh, oh, it's incredible. There's one more casting, yeah, one thing I wanted to bring up. How wasn't Danny, how's Danny Dyer not in that I film? I watched the whole thing. Surely he's in it somewhere. Surely yeah. he's knocking around. Because Danny Dyer was B-movie <laughs> staple of mm. every British kind of Liverpool gangster. He was in all yeah. of them. He was in, and I think he peaked at a kind of EastEnders. He thought, right, I'm coming to the end of my uh, kind of British profitability. Yeah. Like this is my sustainability. You he know, was literally in every every British low rent. Would he of, have added to this though? <laughs> this no. is the thing with, with well, the, I don't know because like he, he's been a uh, remarkable thing is he was a star in so many of these films, like the the hooligan football factory films and. Uh, and then he was there was one that, the oh, Wii of Football Factory the real um, well, I mean um, have you like are you, are you guys familiar with the Danny Dyer industrial com- uh, complex no. this is a fascinating phenomenon I mean actually legitimate not Darren finds fascinating like actually fascinating phenomenon in British film production yeah. so what happened is like after he did all this like you know the Football Factory and stuff like that and these sort of like uh, these films that attracted this sort of hard man audience what happened is these direct-to-video companies went back and actually bought 
some of his earlier films because he he started out as a sort of a semi-serious actor. And so like um, The Borstal Boy right. starring Danny Dyer, you know, which is kind of like this, this is gay... Is Brendan Behan? That's it, exactly. It's Brendan Behan sort of like it's this kind of homoerotic sort of love affair sort of film about students at boarding school and it's very sensitive and it's very dramatic. And they bought the rights to it and they just slapped Danny Dyer's face on the cover of it, like within this black silhouette on a red front saying, sometimes love is forbidden. <laughs> um, it's, it's amazing. And they have like this thing where he did, I think he did like a prison of war romance, uh, which was set in a camp, which was for the, um, was it the, the Irish soldiers, sorry, the, the British soldiers during the second world war in Ireland, the internment camp. And again, it was a similar thing. It was like a sensitive historical drama. And it's like, they're about to find that no cage can hold him. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And like just repackaging all these movies that Dyer had made before he kind of came, before he settled into the mold of Danny Dyer as we understand him now. And like trying Cinema to just rebrand it. and trailers and kind of, you know, you know like we, we don't really have it anymore where there's a whole blurb on, on the back. Like we don't, we don't, yeah. I suppose we don't get as much of that from kind of like catching things on Netflix. Yeah, where you have to be misled and sort of tricked into buying it, basically. Yeah, are you ever trying to, like, figure out whether something is good on Sky? <laughs> and everything has, like, kind of five stars out of five. Um, but, it, it, yeah, the... Um, um, sorry, I don't know what point I'm trying to make. <laughs> but, yeah, so, no, I mean, and it, yeah. And so I feel like Danny Dyer, to a certain extent, feels like a product of this film, rather than a part of it. In that, I, like, I feel like... Dyer is the knockoff version of like Nick Moran to a certain extent. It feels like Nick Moran maybe would have said no to some of the stuff that Danny Dyer said yes to. And that's probably why, you know, Nick, we haven't seen that much of Nick Moran. Well, I think Danny Dyer just, he, we're waiting for Danny for Nick Moran to explain Brexit to us. He, he would just, he made an industry of, of just like making loads of movies. Like he literally, I think he was in one movie a year for about a decade. It was like always in a, a film. Like the earlier ones, I think he just had a small role. Then later he became a a big star, and there was another guy that was in Ali. Some I can't remember, but again they were like um, small budget films do you, made do you know in, really in, in like, London. Actually, who 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 would have been great in this is Ricky Grove. Dead Man Shoot. Oh, no, no, yeah, because like I think at that at that time he had probably done kind of uh, uh, Bulla on 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 the eleven o'clock show, and. Uh, um, he was he was he was on uh, he was on EastEnders for 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 a while actually. If we're um, if we're plugging things yet, uh, probably, we will in a moment. I'd probably yeah. I'd, I'll, sure, I'll, I'll I'll say what it is in a moment. But um, oh, by the way, just on on the Danny Dyer Industrial Con- uh, Complex, and I will include the trailer for this in the show notes. Um, in two thousand and thirteen, Danny Dyer's Run for Your Wife, co-starring Neil Morrissey from Men Behaving Badly apparently opened to only £747 at the British box office. That was its total taking. Um, by those shotguns. Was that. that by the time he... When did he go into... Starring Denise Van Outen as well. Um, <laughs> and, and in fact, the trailer includes a shot of Denise Van Outen trying to hit Danny Dyer in the nuts. That's the level at which we're competing there. How long has he been in EastEnders now? Is he still in EastEnders? I think he... You know, he was amazingly... He, he, his first start, he was Harold Pinter's protege. Like he grew up in the fin, like personally, they really? to train up. They were friends, and wow. like he trained them up in the theatre and stuff. And it, obviously, there's been a, a long journey <laughs> yes, away from to where he is, yeah. Yeah. To to where he is now. Wife and, yeah. yeah. But, Again, and the Borstal boy along the way. Yeah, yeah. Pinteresque. 
are, are just dire. <laughs> uh, but yeah, is there anything else you want to talk about actually with regards to um, Lock Stock? Dyer and gives his his name to a, a particular type of movie as well. Yeah, like Pinter um, gave gave his name to Pinterest. Dyer esque, yeah, or Dyer, just Dyer. I hate to say this, I saw a lot of Danny Dyer films, and some of them were quite good. They were quite funny. Not all of them are Dyer. Oh. Uh, Wasn't there a zombie one where he was in when it was like a comedy zombie? I can't remember what it was, but it was really good. He has good. made a lot of films. Yeah, but it was like I don't know. But it was it was a really strange title, and it was like women that were vampires, and he was in a he was in a Trinian? No, it, it was some kind of he was in some wood, like wood, a Devil's Playground, Doghouse. Could have been Doghouse. Yeah, does that make sense? Evil Aliens, apparently. There you go. That would have been his. Um, starring Noel Clark, Stephen Graham, and Danny Dyer. What a cast to die for. And we'll uh, be talking about that next, next week. week. <laughs> starring Neil Meskel as Banksy. <laughs> Okie dokie. Uh, well, does this make any sense to you? I think that might have been the one. Alright. Because looking at the poster, does it include kind of attractive looking women? Oh, it includes a woman with her legs open and Danny Dyer between it. That might be it. That's probably it. Okay. Doggos. All right, I don't think that we're going to top that. Um, so what we asked at the end of the podcast, we typically ask people to recommend uh, something they enjoyed. So a film that you watched recently, a TV show, podcast. And to plug your own stuff. And even to yeah. plug your own stuff as well. So if people are looking for a bit more Dave, a bit more Babu, where can they find you guys online? Well, you can't really find me anywhere online because I don't do anything online at the moment. So uh, yeah, no, I, I've, I've got nothing to plug. Sorry. All right. Um, I suppose music, you can yeah. check out yeah. Blank Jack Davey on Bandcamp or Atlanta Dream Season. Oh, my band Ooh. on, uh, that's on Bandcamp, that's on Spotify, I understand. Well, they could do in show notes as well, but yeah. Um, for recommended movies, just as a counterpoint to this, something I watched recently, the, um, the, the Lavender Hill Mob, you know, a British comedy sort of crime caper film, Alec Guinness in it, so that's a wonderful film. And Andrew? Yeah, I um, recommend people. Um, something that Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy made me think of was, um, and Alec Guinness as well is the the old um, stuff like uh, Smiley's People, um, the uh, BBC the, sort of exactly, yeah. yeah, yeah, and Tinker Which Tailor it? Soldier Spy. Yeah, they're both available. Um, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They and didn't film the honorable school. They did not. No, because no. the budget, because it, it required it would require location going shooting. Going to Hong Kong. That's that. exactly yeah, yeah, which yeah, the BBC yeah. could not have funded. They're only required to kind of. Um, do um well, I suppose they had Turkey and Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. I hadn't seen it. The 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 version of um of um Smiley's People I saw um featured a bit in um the Netherlands, but I I don't know if they even went to the Netherlands. Um yeah, so I I'd I'd I'd, I'd, I'd probably recommend that and. Yeah, um, I, I, I think, I think as well. Um, I, I mentioned earlier, uh, Ricky Rove. I enjoyed him on a recent episode of uh, Brian Gittins, um, and Friends. It's a, it's a, it's a, a, a podcast that one, one, one of our mutual friends actually recommended it to me. Um, so yeah, check that, check that out if you, if you, if you like comedy podcasts. But in in spite of that, also like this and are listening. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, then yeah, yeah, check it out. 
Perfect. Um, in terms of a, and again, keep in mind, I like this movie a lot, but in terms of a corrective to this, or in terms of like just a contrast to this, um, the gangster film boom that came afterwards, I mentioned them earlier, but I recommend Gangster Number One, which I really enjoyed, really and good. Sexy Beast as well, which is uh, Jonathan Glazer. Oh, Sexy Beast is fantastic. Uh, it's yeah. really, really good, and probably the best of these sort of films as well. Um, you can follow me online at Darren underscore Mooney. Um, you can also follow the podcast at the 250. If you're listening to it already, you probably know where to find us. Uh, but in case you want to swap platforms, we're on Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you can find good podcasts. Um, if you like us, please feel free to rate us or to share us as well. That kind of helps get the word out. Um, and, and leave a review as well. That's kind of helpful in getting some sort of more uh, ears. But thank you very much, guys. Uh, and thank you very much, Dave. And thank you, Babu. Oh, John, what about me? I didn't get to recommend anything. Oh, sorry. So... <laughs> There we go. Uh, um, Cut for time. (laughs) (laughs) You're like Claudia Schiffer. Your recommendations are the Claudia Schiffer of this podcast. Didn't test well. Uh, But it's okay because Matthew Vaughn will marry you. That's one way to get to Hollywood. Um, So, no, actually... Kingsman 3 takes a very different direction. Anyway. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Um, So, uh, Tarantino, the latest movie. I really enjoyed that. The, some of his movies I was a little bit disappointed with. I was really looking forward to them and they weren't so good. But this one I was looking forward to. This is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm. Uh, and it was we great. Spoke about really, yeah, we covered it two weeks ago. Yes. We, covered about two, we covered it two weeks ago. Yeah, I yeah. really enjoyed it. Uh, and then I guess the other thing is there was a film in the early 2000s, I think, called Kinky Boots. Yes, which has a musical now at the uh, in our in Dublin. It's yeah, touring worldwide. It's touring, but uh, kind of it's along with Angela's Ashes, the musical, <laughs> <laughs> which is really coming up. This yeah. is a real thing. He's not <laughs> oh, joking. This is... But uh, along yeah. with that famine comedy, that no, no, again, not joking. There's a famine comedy coming to Irish television as well. Gosh, but yeah, Kinky Boots. I saw over the. It wouldn't have been my cup of tea, but I really enjoyed it. I would recommend this. And I think they're here for a couple of days, and then they. I think they're in Southampton. So uh, our listeners in Southampton, please feel free to sign on and buy tickets. Well, I think I think they're coming to about fourteen weeks of a, of a run left, but I really did enjoy it. And as I said, it was based on a film, and it was actually uh, based on a true story about a, a guy who owned a, a shoe company in um, I think Northampton and uh, that area, and uh, they wanted to. It was an ailing shoe company, and they uh, basically revitalized it with a new shoe line. But I'll, I'll let you investigate more of that online because we're probably, I've said too much already. Okay, thank you. Okay, so it sounds like that's a that funny... If that doesn't sell you. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like it's a funny, it's a funny story that is heartwarming to boot. Oh. Uh, we'll be back next week uh, with our summer of 99 season continuing we're actually finally arriving in movies that are unequivocally released in 1999 just as we're leaving summer of 2019 Luke Dunn will be joining us to discuss Baby Geniuses the only movie from 1999 to feature on the worst 100 movies ever made on IMDb join us next week to discover if it's just as terrible as that description makes it sound Bye. It's been emotional.